where just like that, when someone comes up and says something like, I am a god, everybody says, who does he think he is? I just told you who I thought I was, a god. I just told you. That's who I think I am. Would it have been better if I had a song that said, I am a nigga? Or if I had a song that said, I'm a gangster? Or if I had a song that said, I am a pimp? All those colors and patinas fit better on a person like me, right? But to say you are a god, especially when you got shipped over to the country that you're in and your last name is a slave owner's. How could you say that? How could you have that mentality? Hello guys and welcome to a new episode of Don't Let The Stands. You are here today with your host, Ease McKenzie and... Shope. And we are missing a host today. Um, So today it's Shope and I. It is Eden's Homecoming Part 2, except with no Beyonce topic today. Shope, how are you doing today? I am good. You know, uh, another week, you know, here we are. Another week has come to an end. Let's try and make the most of this weekend before capitalism raises ugly head on Monday morning. Yeah, I feel like this week has been a bit daunting for a lot of people. We've seen some concerns around like lockdown and everything. And like for me, I've just been in a space where I'm just watching now and trying to enjoy every single day. Um, I've been reading a book called A Thousand Splendid Sons. Um, I've heard that's a really listen, good book. I've heard nothing but good things that about book, that book. I'm literally, it's 400 pages, yeah, and I'm about to finish it. And I started it about two days ago or something like that um you're so much better than me i i i know this isn't a, a, a book show but me and english sorry me and eden we're both english mm-hmm. graduates here i reading for me i've fallen off reading this entire lockdown i thought i, I thought oh coming into lockdown like i'll be reading way more I'll be powering through books no yeah like i've read a little life and that's it mm-hmm. and i'm in the middle of you know captive genders right now which i'm really loving but I don't know. I just, I really struggle to just sit down. I think the way work, my work is right now that when I actually do have those times to myself, I'm just too mentally drained to sit and read. I just want to like lie down or do nothing or just not engage my brain. I think we've, we've had the, like a similar conversation before about this and to do with music and how we get quiet. When there's a lot going on in the world, sometimes it's a bit hard to listen and kind of read and do certain things that we enjoy because it requires a certain amount of focus, whereas your brain just wants to relax from constantly being stimulated by all of these tweets, yes. all of these Instagram posts, all of like Zoom calls, like literally emails. eight hours of our day it's... are staring at a screen. Whereas before when we were in our work buildings and everything was going on, at least you went outside and you kind of had a bit of a break in between and you could do work in meetings that didn't require a screen and all of these types of things so I understand like our eyes are probably much tired and we're probably just a bit more fatigued but what I was saying was I'm reading A Thousand Splendid Sons and it's just making me feel a bit more grateful for life in general I'm not going to spoil it for anyone or anything but um, it's about Afghanistan and um, it's, it starts in the early 70s and kind of what's going on there, all of the wars and the Taliban and all of that type of stuff. And um, it talks about women's rights and um, kind of terrorism and all of the things that were going on in um, Afghanistan at the time and um, when they were fighting the Soviet Union and everything. And for me, 
it's making me feel eternally grateful for the things that are around me because like I'm thinking about things as small as there are times where I can't even speak about um hunger in the way this book talks about it like there's a chapter not to spoil it but there's a chapter where there's a character who hasn't eaten for like years <laughs> like literally for ages like maybe some scraps or something like that but the the description of hunger and the way he describes struggle and everything is making me feel really really grateful for the small things like being able to walk into my kitchen and get a glass of water or um like I have cashew nuts on my desk right now which I probably overlooked if um I didn't think about it too much so I'm in an eternally grateful mood man I feel like I'm in high spirits at the moment and I'm just really trying to take every day as it comes because we've got a lot coming as winter approaches um and I hope everyone who's listening to this podcast is good as well cool so that's me now Shopee so you listened to the episode with Nick before um where we spoke about we're bigging each other up I'm not gonna do that with you because you know already that I'm team Shopee and I'm always shouting about your successes and all of these types of things (laughs) but I actually realized I actually I actually realized a guest will probably never have on this show is someone who works in PR so I was hoping to ask you. I mean, we a... we had we had Steph who works in marketing, and I think that episode we had with her, and she said it. It shows that uh, how similar marketing and PR is. There are a lot of there's a lot of overlap in her day to day and my day. But you you just... work directly in PR, so I'm going to ask you about PR very quickly. It's not going to be an intensive okay. interview. I don't have any questions, and you know I don't work on questions. I work on vibe. So literally, this I just true. literally want to ask you a few questions about my understandings of um, PR but also your day-to-day because sometimes I speak to you and I'm like Shope how was your day and you're like oh, I had a long day today x happened x happened but I don't know the ins and out of that day and I kind of just want you to talk on PR for a second what some of the things that made you want to go into PR what what was it oh wow are people gonna enjoy this episode Shope's talking <laughs> um well I'll say first and foremost that uh I I always knew that I wanted to work in music from a young age. And I was saying this to one of my friends recently, a few days ago, actually, that I feel like compared to most people that even people who are our age now, 24, 25, they're still trying to work out what they're going to do with their life. But I knew from like 15 that I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm going to work in music. And I remember when I was 16 doing, you know, GCSEs and shit like that, you know, you have your career advisor come in. And you tell them your subjects and we want to do it A-level or college or whatever. And this white woman said, PR. And I didn't know what PR was at the time. But it's just funny that years later, that's actually what I'm doing. So <laughs> she was right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I didn't know. But um, as for getting into it, I think initially I wanted to be a music journalist. Well, I am, but on the side. You know, I freelance, stuff like that. But I think that was why I wanted like my job to be like a music writer and I remember applying for like editorial internships to like The Fader and BuzzFeed. I actually got one at Solange's St. Huron four years ago which was going to be in New Orleans but I couldn't take it because you know university I had to graduate but I don't think I've ever shared that with anyone but yeah no I had an editorial internship in New York which sorry New Orleans which I couldn't crazy. take. I didn't know that. Well I could have taken it I could have taken it but it might have been a risk. Um, Do you regret that? Uh I don't regret it because ultimately I'm happy with the way things have turned out. And ultimately, 
I think you, and it sounds so cliche in African we'd say this, you know, Nigerian, but like, you know, education's important. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, I think maybe I would have considered it more if it was at the beginning of uni, but this came in, in my final year mm. of uni. So it's like, I've already, st- I've already done two years. I'm not going to just duck out on the final year. Like I hadn't, you know, yeah. <laughs> finished my degree, but obviously I was thinking like, wow, you know, this amazing website that I love. And it obviously it's Salonji's website, you know, New Orleans work, live and work there. Uh, black owned company everyone that worked there was a, were black writers but then obviously the site doesn't exist anymore so i don't know what would happen but maybe it would have been a wonderful launching pad to other things i don't know so i don't regret it but i obviously do recognize that wow that could have really been really 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 mm. amazing but i you know i'm doing some great things now so yeah so yeah. why pr in particular because you as you've described at the beginning we both studied english and, you know, there are yes. different courses that you can take at university, music technology and all these types of things that are specifically music focused. What made you decide to go into PR instead of, say, marketing or A&Ring or something along those lines? Why PR? I think, once again, it's one of those things where, like, I didn't know. So it's kind of what just naturally led me mm. there. So, like I said, I was trying to, you know, get into all these... uh uh publications as a writer and that wasn't working out i mean i was freelancing like i was doing stuff like with pigeons and planes and true africa and wonderland and stuff like that but i wasn't able to find like a, a staff role or an intern role at these places and then me being me like i've always loved reading the various music magazines music websites and then i i don't know how i don't actually know how but i eventually just started applying for like pr internships i was like okay this will be like a stepping stone for now. I think I don't think I ever went in the intention of doing it forever, but I realized that to be a PR, like any PR, whether, whether you do PR for restaurants or I don't know tech brands, you need to have an understanding of the media landscape and basically read every music magazine website editorial thing whatever. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And then um, I did one internship at a place which wasn't f- focused on music. They did like a like FMCG brands, retail brands, Tesco brands. So like it was like very boring, but you know whatever, get it on the CV. <laughs> yeah. Then I um up, I went to another company called should I say their name? I should I say their name? You know that I, I think they were quite important in my development. LD Communications. Uh, so I interned there in 2017, and they look after like uh the Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, uh, uh, who else? Uh, like Carol King's back catalogue and who else did they do? Pink. Who else was there? Oh, uh, Blue, some other places like that. Um, so a lot of like, they do like Raw a- XD type of music. More what? Raw XD. You know, like the um, emo kind of um, rock people. Yeah, like a, so like a lot of classic rock bands and like some pop, like some pop people and like they had some contemporary artists. Like they did... Um, they did PopCon for a bit while I was That's there. a random uh, addition. Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> business is business. Um, so, yeah. So, like, even though, like, it wasn't, like, uh, the artists or the sounds that I particularly loved. Well, first and foremost, I learned a lot about uh, some great artists there. So, it's because of that, like, I am now a Rolling Stones fan. I'm now a Fleetwood Mac fan. And I have a much more appreciation for blues music because one of my bosses, well, my boss there... He runs his own blues radio station and I had to do research for him every week on the show. So I learned a lot about some great blues artists, which I still listen to now as a result of that. Um, and like I said, I'm now a Rolling Stones fan. Um, so, some, so like, you know, and I know, I don't like, but yeah, anyway. Um, 
But you know, when I was working there, I realized that yes, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to work in music. I like working in in music, and I kind of liked how it kind of allowed me to do various types of things and various day to day things. Whereas I think like, and I say this to Nick, and I think Nick is the same. Like, I don't think either one of us could be a staff writer. Okay. I don't think I don't, as much as I love writing and I do enjoy it. I don't think I could do that day in day out. Okay. You know, it's more of a passion. Forced, yeah, it's a passion thing, and like I like writing about things that I want to write about or artists that I want to write about. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people obviously come to me and request things, but it's like about choice. Whereas if you're a staff writer, you may be tasked to write about an artist you don't care about, or you know, it's just like it's just. And I feel like writing is just such a cerebral act. Like mm-hmm. it's really a lot. It's a lot to write. It's a lot. And to do that day in day out, I just don't know if I could do that. So that's kind of when I realized that, you know, PR can be a great day job. It's still music. And I write a lot for that anyway. Like you have to write mm. press releases and pitches and yeah, strategies and shit, shit like that. Mm. But it's kind of like there's kind of less, not less effort because PRs do a lot of work and it's very stressful. It's very draining. But I feel like there's more variety in what you want to do on a day-to-day basis, especially depending on the artist, whether it's a festival, depending on the genre. If they're a big artist, they're a local level artist. Like there's a, variety of what I can do is when you're writing it's like so every day okay 1500 words on what Travis Scott did today or a news post oh blah 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 Beyonce released a new album right about this it's like yeah I don't know well just if we pause there quickly because you said something that was quite interesting about how um so we're really doing of, this wow okay well you spoke about how stressful like PR is like being a PR is for example and actually in our conversations like I don't I can't recall a day where you've been like oh today was a fairly easy day to actually get through the day and everything because I think with most jobs there's like days you can coast where you can just literally just get through the day by maybe answering a few emails and then oh no don't get me wrong that's knowing... definitely been me these last two weeks definitely okay okay but you still said things have been yeah a bit no difficult, th- but that's but... What, there are definitely periods when it's a lot. <laughs> there are periods when yeah. it's a lot. They're... So describe those days then. Describe the days when it's a lot. What what do they entail? Like describe a, a, a tough day in PR. I think I think just I think most recently, uh doing Not Good Carnival. That was that was the most stressful, busy, mentally draining time of my career today, I think. As much as much fun mm-hmm. as it was, as interesting as it was, and I'm very proud of the results and looks I secured because I think I, compared to my, some of my colleagues, I got much more substantive and much more coverage that was actually uh, directed to our community and people who actually would go to Carnival rather than just, oh, BBC News, okay, Evening Standard, okay, but Kathy Ann and Mary, Mary Lou aren't going to Carnival, <laughs> so... But that also brings up a very interesting question about do black artists need black PRs and like do black events need black PRs as well? I well, oh, there's so much I can say about Carnival, but you know, yeah. <laughs> so now that I've worked on it this year, there's, I have something which I which I will say off the air. Okay. But <laughs> but um, I will say yes, definitely. I will say definitely like black artists need. I'm not saying it has to be solely black PRs, but you yeah. need a black PR on on board. Why is and, that? Because naturally, we just, you know, we have our ears to the ground and our ears to the street in a different way. Because obviously, even at our biggest artists, a lot of them, you know, they come from, like, you know, these backgrounds and they come from communities and cultures which were initially niche at one point. Like, so, mm. for example, Stormzy, like, you know, he's seen as, like, our biggest UK rapper today, our biggest grime artist ever. But 
obviously, culturally, historically, it wasn't always this conglomerate that it is today. Where you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Whereas, like, if you look at pop artists, so like, I don't know if you do PR for like, I don't know, uh, like Steps, like <laughs> West Cup <laughs> <Steps>. Seven. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, from day they were massive stars. Pop music has always been. They sell millions of albums. They get complete access to all the radio deals they get complete access to because like so what you're describing is you grow with the artist essentially yeah that's basically the difference yeah and i think that's quite important because there's a lot of context i think some people miss when it comes to black artists in general like i think um some people that i've spoken to work in the music industry um speak about kind of how we understand there's certain codes and certain things that some artists can't do like it would be difficult to explain why you can't have, say, Jay Huss and um, Kojo Funds in a kind of campaign together. Like, we know yes. why they can't be together because there's context culturally behind that as well. So it is important. And I'm not saying, obviously, all black people understand that area because we're not a monolith. No, but of course. you are correct. At least with a black person, you're getting a bit closer to um, yeah. that connection. And 1, you're able to grow with the, ans- with the 1, artist as well. 1,000%. And there are just certain nuances and there are just certain elements that you just instinctively understand mm. as a black person. What, because you can look at it as, yes, you look at it as like, you know, someone who's working, but you look at it as a consumer. So like, I look at myself like, so I'm a, obviously I work in, in music and I'm black, but I'm also a consumer of music mm-hmm. and I'm black. So like, I have an understanding of what my fellow black people my black community, how they would react to certain things or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you whereas, mean. Whereas, whereas I've even noticed it like, in, like when people, some of my colleagues put together targets, they'll just put in a random thing because they think, oh, that's, that's the urban one. But like, no, but they actually wouldn't cover that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, so for example, I'm not going to say what, actually I will say it. Um, so I want to, actually, well, I'm talking way too much. Actually, you know what? Let me just say this. So there was a particular <laughs> camp, um, client we had Um. And they were a black client, but it wasn't, it was much more of like a charity based kind of story. Okay. It wasn't necessarily focused on the music, but it was a, a famous black family. Um, okay. I'll just say that. And then they put no signal in the targets. I'm like, and they had, and I know for a fact they have never even heard of them. Mm. Sorry, they've never even listened to it. They don't know what it is, but because I put it in the strategy for Carnival, which naturally makes sense. Mm. You know, I did some stuff with No Signal for Carnival a few weeks ago. They just, they just obviously thought, okay, Shopper put it in there, so it must be a black thing, so let's put it in their black. That's how they just mm. look at it so, they look at it so uh, vertically. They yeah. look at it as like an ABC rather than, no, just like each individual person or uh, publication or station I put in, it's for a reason. It's not just because, oh, that's the nigger ones. That's the, the nigger <laughs> publications. That's the nigger radio stations. <laughs> No, but it's true. Because when I saw no signal in there and the and the girl asked me, Do you have a contact with no signal? I'm like, for what? Like, it's like they're not gonna cover that. <laughs> but it's, it, like we're saying, it's important that you know the context because that could have been a very awkward situation. Because even like in my own industry, in the publishing industry, obviously... um, before you continue, before you I have to say this. So even that, so like there's such a like an elitism when it comes to publications. So like I always say this that and it's and when it comes to even getting new business, why well, I'm really talking a lot. Wow, okay. That I feel like all they really care about some PRs is just like getting the the national newspapers. That's mm. all they care about. They understand. And when it comes to like certain culturally niche artists, you like you know you need to get like you know you need to get like a, a Pride magazine. You're gonna need to get a Tripping World. You're gonna need to get like a 
a Viper or you're going to need to get like a DJ booth or an audio Mac kind of profile. But, or uh, I can go on and go on, but they just like, they're just so like independent, even standard, the Guardian, Daily Mail, the Mirror. It's just like, it's just like you're servicing these artists to audiences who don't, to, to audiences and demographics who don't, who won't be the first to listen to them yeah. when their album drops. And I understand, I understand in terms of visibility and numbers, yes, yeah. you need to, you need to have those art. And it, obviously it can help with breaking an artist. So like, you know, having him do one on The Guardian two months ago, that's obviously like a massive look for him. And I'm very ha- proud of myself for making that happen. Mm. But at the same time, you have to remember, like I'm sure most people who read The Guardian in print, maybe not online, but people who actually read The Guardian newspaper, it's not us. Yeah. <laughs> It's not it's us. It's true. It's true. It's not yeah. us. Yeah. And as I was saying, like behind the scenes in a completely different industry, I've seen, because my industry might be slightly different to yours where the demographics are appalling, like probably 99% white and then like I've heard. everyone else is completely different and everything. So when it comes to marketing black talent, so let's say people who write books in my case, there aren't, there are now, there are people now, but before when I started probably about four years ago, there was no one to really work with these artists to help build them up and kind of understand their plight. And I think that's the difference when you add someone who's culturally from a background. It's quite important to have someone to be like, this won't work. This will work. I know this audience because I am this audience. Yes, precisely. And that's very important. That is very, yeah. very important. Yeah. So look, I've got one last question for you because I know like we have to get on with the show and everything. But the last question is, is there a space in the UK for a purely black PR company? I think the time is coming. I definitely will say that. So first of all, before I even answer that question in detail, I will say that I can say that in my experience, especially at my where I work now, I can see that they value my opinion. So it's like, when I say certain things aren't going to work, they believe me. It's not, mm. they don't just like disregard it because I'm not a senior member of staff. I can tell that there's a trust there and it kind of has shown even with uh, things I've done recently. So going back to Carnival now, so surprise, should I say that? I'll say, I'll say it to you off here. Okay. But let's just say that this is a very sh- sh- episode, like, <laughs> off air, off air, like. <laughs> no, because I feel like I've said quite a lot already. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble. I don't know. <laughs> but I've, I guess Eden would stop me if I was talking too much. But I would stop you. I was anything controversial. I don't think so. You haven't. You've been very, like, I think it's important that we're honest. And, and like, at the same time, what we're seeing at the moment is a lot of companies are realizing that. I think the culture of the UK is changing a lot. We're seeing drill kind of embedded in the younger generation and people who are from different backgrounds are engaging with black culture a lot more. So it's very important that we have these conversations so that companies realize, okay, so we are maybe doing the right thing by having someone like Shopping in the room or having someone like Nick in the room in music. And this, I want to say this, it's not just because I'm black. I'm black, yes, but I'm also good at my job. And I know what I'm doing. That's That's very important. That is very important. That is because there important. are there are some people that you know they are literally just tokenistic. It's just yep. cosmetic. Yep. And again, like I said, not all black people understand the experience as well. So it is very important yes, exactly. that you have people from different economic backgrounds as well. Because actually, you know, this is something that annoyed me. I remember this. I don't care if I get in trouble for this, but I remember um, I was at a meeting once, and it was about um, diversity and everything. And someone in the crowd started talking about how we need to have more um, economic diversity so we can get more people from diverse backgrounds in. And I was mm-hmm. just thinking, no, because we're not all from 
like being black doesn't automatically mean we're necessarily poor. It doesn't mean we're not, we're necessarily... we don't we don't all have the council of start narrative. It's and and, and just, that's there's no issue with that. Like there's no issue with that at all. Like that's your life, and that's something that is uh, system systemic and institutional. Like there is a reason that people come from different classes. But at the same time, it's a bit of a iffy thing to assume that because I'm black, I understand the plight of someone who came from a council estate, for example, or um, came from an environment where um, they grew up with like gangs or something like that. I don't understand that lifestyle. So it's important that we have diversity, not in, not just in economically or racially, but at the same time in thought, like within the black community. Because don't try that whole, oh, we're diverse in thought thing with white people and just say there's no other black people or no other Asian people or whatever in the company. It doesn't work like that. You've got to have people from different backgrounds, different backgrounds when it comes um, from economics as well. Yes, and 100%, 100%. Like that's very important. So yeah, like thank you for that because I know you don't like sometimes going in depth into like About your thoughts life. and stuff because yeah, it is hard. And it's I, a bit scary. And I know, well. I know for some reason people are really pressed about that because you and Nick like you know like to you know share your world and like major branch talk to us too but <laughs> it's not it's not impressed it's not us being impressed i think it's more so um, no 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 not knowing it, how mean... to angle the conversation because when we know how you feel we're able to interact with the actual conversation in that way so Fair if you enough. say you're happy for example we'll be in a uh, we'll be like okay so we can interact we can do this now and we can do yeah, that no, I, if it's I been a busy week that. we know what that means i understand that but to round up on your question so um I've noticed in the time I've worked, especially since lockdown, actually, that I really can see that people really, that my colleagues really value what I say and they really take time to really listen and consider my opinions. Even even if it's not campaigns that I'm actually working on. So, like, mm. there are campaigns that I don't work on because I'm too busy or whatever, whatever, but they, there, are, there are, like, elements or there are factors in that, a client that oh sure people probably would have some information about this and they ask me about these things like oh is this the right right is this the right angle good and i see that now but to answer your final question yes i definitely think the time is coming for an all-black pr company i definitely i definitely see it i definitely definitely in, see it. in the uk as well because yes. we have global stars now we have people yeah. who can do it globally i definitely think so because there are certain people who i'm seeing there are i won't say their names but there are two black prs who have both recently departed big companies so mm who have now moved to smaller companies mm. but like, there's one girl who was um at rca she's left she's now at wired mm. i mean that kind of gives it away but you you know you're doing a good job sweetie you know who you are <laughs> um and then there's another girl who left a uh, satellite she now has her own agency with another with another person so like, there are, I, I see even in myself and even one girl so back to that satellite company so a black woman was recently promoted to, I think she's like uh, a senior member of staff now at the company. And they like DPR for like some amazing people like Adele and Frank Ocean and uh, Edward Enninfo. Like they have some amazing clients, like mm. some amazing clients. And, and a black woman is now been promoted to a senior member of staff at that company in London. Wow, that's crazy. So, like, so I definitely, I definitely do see like, I look around, I look at my community and then even at my last job, uh, the head of PR at my last agency is a black man. Mm. Uh, shout out to him you know see who he is so like that i definitely and he's special because he's a black man head of pr at an agency that specializes in house and dance music you know, oh wow which has historically been whitewashed because mm. i was asking this with my friend a few days ago because he's a black man he runs his own house nights and dance music nights he's very much invested in reminding people that house music was a black thing mm. from in detroit chicago an offshoot of the disco movement 
Mm. And he has, he has this his own shout out to his name is Ryan. He has his own um now it's called Incognito. He's an amazing guy. We probably should have him on the show one day. He would yeah. bring a lot of insight actually, because it's like mm. his thing. It's like he like he's a he loves he loves all music but house and techno. That's his thing, and he will give you like the real roots Ooh, and history of it. Yes, the mm. real roots and history of it. He comes in from like an Azealia Banks point of view because I remember even people like her, people like oh why she doesn't give a house music. That's that's what we were doing. That's what we've been doing. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. But you know, I definitely think the time is coming. Maybe not like in the immediate future, but I definitely think in like in the next five, ten years that there will definitely be either that or you're gonna see much more black PRs working for prominent clients, yeah. prominent artists, prominent festivals. Um And you know what? It won't just be black artists that we'll see it with as well we'll start seeing white artists that want to be in black spaces having black PRs. Yeah, exactly. And I think even outside of the whole even white artist thing, I think when you're a, when you're a black PR or a queer PR or, you know, you're an other, you're going to... you And it's kind of how it's the black experience um, across the board. You have to know what's... The, you have to know the common stuff as well as the niche stuff. Hmm. Whereas you see a lot of white PRs, all they know, like I said, all they know is the, the Daily Mail the mirror the standard you talk to them about like oh rwd mag or reform punk what's that oh mm-hmm. everpress what's that and i'm like because they just focused on numbers but it's yeah. like when it comes to good pr it's also about you know stats and viewership and readership but it's also about qualitative press mm-hmm. it's about interesting press yeah that's what's also about it's not also just about yes okay even Thailand has 50 million monthly users or whatever but okay but places like you know third magazine or the face or uh suitcase magazine or shoon or reform the funks season sign i'm just pause online shout out to jen and johnson at pause online great people uh they like it's qualitative press so mm-hmm. like they may not have the numbers but the artist or the client they're going to be able to have conversations and they're gonna be able to be angled and directed in a way that they wouldn't with others and yeah. if that, and i saw that working with carnival this year like some of the stuff I secured, I would be talking to sound systems and people who design mask costumes and they'll be like, I've never done press like this before, before mm. this year. He's like, I just do the common Red Bull, I just do the Evening Standard, but like, they were actually having conversations about the roots and history of Carnival yeah. and and talking about like, the slave and how mask comes from slave tradition. Like, they, they were they able to express their talents, express their legacy and lineages in a way they wouldn't because I was giving them publications that would allow them to talk about those things. Mm. Not just the, oh yes, carnival's fun, here again. <laughs> you know, we're going to wine, we're going to have some good drinks, you know, jerk chicken, woo. White chocolate. Yeah. Any- oh. Anyways, anyways, mm. anyways. Mm. But um, yes. yeah, As, yeah, like some places like that, like Natal Magazine, Native Mag, like, you know, these, I, I like these people, white people aren't going to be thinking to go to that. The, the most edgy thing they'll go to is Vice and Hypebeast. And that's mm. no shade to them because I love them. But that's the that's that's the furthest their knowledge of the edgy, cool titles go. That's that's the furthest they go. I can understand that. I can understand why. That makes a lot of sense. And Gaudium, that's the furthest they go. Mm. Like, okay, I said that was the last question, and I just want to know: Do you get starstruck? Because I know we've had conversations before about, like, obviously you love music, right? And you've always loved music. You've always spoken about it. And we've spoken about it in depth. But you work with some incredible legacy artists as well. And well, I haven't met them, though. Yeah, but you, you, you have a direct link to them. 
and you've probably yeah. spoken to someone who's been in the same room as them and you're just like wow what is that oh like? yeah probably. no of course of course so like my boss i'm not gonna say his name but yeah he's on wikipedia so that that alone like my boss is on wikipedia like, yeah his his legacy his heritage as a music pr like he is a he's a don like mm. he has worked for some incredible i'll just will off some names for you the spice girls amy winehouse prince michael jackson paul mccartney carrie underwood blondie nomi campbell ariana en vogue luther vandross that's my boss boy that's my boss luther i remember i remember my first day he was just teddy pendergrass boy I, I remember my first day when i met him it's like he came and he's like oh i wanted to meet all the new stuff whatever and i he knew from my cv that i was i was an uncle i was an old soul and he's like, oh, I've heard, I heard you're really into the old school stuff, blah, 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 blah. And he just started telling me about, oh, I went on tour of Teddy Pendergrass in 1983. Oh, <laughs> oh I, I did the very first En Vogue tour. And I was like, ah, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a great conversation. Like, oh, man. I played football with Bob Marley. I'm like, ah, uh, what? Boy, that's contentious for different reasons. Of course. <laughs> that's, that's, that's contentious for a certain reason, but yeah. Yes. Yeah, but still, just like, and even like, even just on a daily basis, like, the fact that, uh, so hearing these anecdotes about Naomi Campbell, like, nearly every day. Yeah. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, big, big Naomi Campbell, just because that's just, that's, oh, that's just a client, you know, but. <laughs> It's just quite mad. It's, but, it's, but, it's... but that will be you someday. That's that's why I asked if you get starstruck because I'm like I know it's within you. Just like speaking about music in general and everything and how much you love it, the passion definitely shows. And through this podcast, you've always championed legacy artists as well. Like respecting legends is something that you live by. So I'm excited for when you finally get that legacy artist you can like interact with and tell the stories about oh i was here for this person's first show i was here for this person's farewell show or whatever like eventually i'm looking forward to that conversation and the yeah. gossip obviously that will come up yeah the it won't course. be on the podcast off, yeah off the air yeah, but, but yeah i'm looking forward to that and even that even i haven't met some, i have some gossip some about some artists now that i can share off, <laughs> yes <off the air. laughs> like, all right cool we'll talk yeah about that. like like um one i have one particular story well not story but so I did the Whitney Houston hologram tour, which is obviously controversial for many reasons. But hey, I'm doing my job. Wait, you can talk about this, right? No, I'm not gonna not in detail, but okay. I'll say that. So working on that tour was amazing because I got to meet and work with people who knew Whitney Houston. We yeah, and Claude Kelly, someone we spoke to. Right yes, as well. exactly. No, yeah. but I got to I got to speak to her musical director. I got to speak to her choreographer. I spoke to some of her dancers, like people who actually knew and worked with Whitney Houston herself, okay. and. I remember we were all in a hotel in Sheffield drinking lots of red wine and I was just hearing these stories, oh, Whitney did this. And I'm just like, and obviously, you all should know, I'm a, I am love Whitney Houston. So to hear like these personal, direct, <laughs> first-hand experiences about the Whitney Houston, I'm just like, rah. I, and Aaliyah just, too. I'm just imagining you with the, with the red wine listening to this. <laughs> yeah, and Aaliyah too, because the choreographer for that show, she choreographed many Aaliyah videos. So she, I heard some first-hand Aaliyah stories. Boy. I was just sitting there, I was like, wow, just wow. Oh, Aaliyah was like this. Oh, Whitney was like that. And I'm just like, my girls. That must have felt amazing. My babies. My, my, <laughs> Aaliyah and Whitney. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, Black PRs are coming. They're That's coming. good. That's good. All right, let's start the episode. Let's go. So, what have we been listening to? Go on, Shopping. 
so listens uh so um it's been quite a good week for me listens wise uh so i'm gonna start with something eden mentioned last week i can't pronounce the name karaga bin yeah mordechai so um as eden incorrectly um realized i actually am a i love this album and um once again, you know, as so much music comes out, it sounds overwhelming. But I feel like this last week has been the time when I've really got to, like, sit with it and listen to it properly and just really take it in, like, like play it when I'm working, play it in the shower, play when I'm doing chores or whatever. And I really, 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 really love this album. And I've become such a massive fan of them because one of my friends is a, is a massive, massive fan. And he like put me on like towards the end of last year, and I got into some of their other projects, but not in depth because like there's too much. But um, their other project, the Universe Smiles Upon You, that was an amazing album. Even you should check that out. That's an amazing album. Okay. But um, yeah, no, their new album, and and it's just it's just very me. Like you know, it's live soul music, live funk music, psychedelic, and they're just incredible musicians. They're from Texas. Like I just think their approach to to music is very very interesting because it's pri- primarily instrumental most of it like they are there is a vocalist but i just think they just have like this really impeccable style and the way they write their music and it's like and it's like it's soul and funk and classic but it's like it's kind of got like this international kind of vibe to it and i know that they're like a, a multiracial group so like there's a white person there's an asian person there's a black person so like and i kind of think it informs it kind of informs how they they play and how they sing and write their songs because you know we discussed how you know you know how certain european countries have their own culture of jazz and soul and funk like that and it really informs this so like yeah i've been listening to their album a lot this week a lot this week so um so if you check that out Mordechai by i can't pronounce the name but i'm just gonna spell it <laughs> k-h-u k-h-r-u-a-n-g-b-i-n I think I it's Karanga Bin, I think. Karanga Bin. I th- think it's Mordecai. I'd chow, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we can only try. Um, so secondly, uh, these next two are actually inspired by our guest, Stefan, last week. So, because uh, once again, these are projects that have come out, but I just haven't really got the time to really get into them. So now I'm getting into Auntie, Uncle Chauffeur. So Legacy and Tony Braxton. So they both dropped their most recent albums, on the same day, actually, August 28th. So Legacy dropped The Wild Card, which was her first album in, I believe, three years. And Tony, she dropped Spell My Name, which was her first in about the same three years. And um, I've really, 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 really enjoyed this. What I'll first off I say about Legacy is, to all you idiots that say R&B is dead, you guys don't know that Legacy is probably one of the most consistent R&B female artists of the last 16 years. That woman has never disappointed me. Never. Every single album is a winner. Yes, there are some better than others. You know, to me, I feel like her magnum opuses are, you know, um, Lost and Found, Turn Me Loose, and the pieces that... Actually, you know what? All of the... You know, look, they, these are all banging. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going through, like, these are all banging, actually. Like, the truth was a banging album. Like, these were banging albums. Shout out to Claude Kelly. And and Chakami, there are a few songs on Pieces of Me. Um, but yeah, no, so once again, she just dropped in an album called The Wild Card. And I still really know what to say. It's just good, authentic R&B soul music. Like, well-written songs, expertly sung, wonderful live instruments. 
like it's very contemporary but very traditional very old school and that's what I've always loved about Alyssa she can really give you a contemporary kind of bop but she can also give you that homegrown 70s 60s style song and there's even kind of like a, a really nice 80s inspired like a Gwen McGray uh uh Renee and Angela kind of vibe one here called The Weekend. It's got like a nice 80s kind of vibe. It's a really, really great song. And there's a song on here called Wake Up, which I really love. So yeah, Ladies has just done it again. Really, really great album. Um, then we're going to go to Tony. And Tony, I was a bit nervous because even though, you know, Respecting Legends, and as you all should know, Tony's one of my uh, my favourites. I adore that woman. Love her to, to death. Her last album wasn't it. <laughs> like at all. <laughs> as I live was a good song though. Yeah, yes, it was. It was an that was, but that was the best song. Then the only good, the only. <laughs> Actually, no. Let me not say that. There was like there was like three song, songs songs that I liked, but "Long as I Live" was the best song on the album, and obviously it did very well for her. She got three three Grammy nominations, well deserved for that song. But um, the last album wasn't it, so <laughs> I was a bit like a bit disappointed. So. But she's really had a nice, she's a nice return to form on this album. And it kind of goes to what Stefan said, that Stefan is one of, not Stefan, Tony's one of the few R&B artists of her generation that has done very well at keeping current while not losing who she is. Because mm. on this album, it's like, it's very classic Tony, but it's also like very like, you know, she's clearly dabbling into what's going on with today. So mm. there's a song in here with her. And what I loved is that her's not actually vocally featured. She's playing the guitar. I liked that. I liked that. Because I was like, please, Tony, just don't do a song of her because her is popping right now. But Tony, she recruited her to play guitar. Like, you know, I want you for your musicianship. I don't want you to... And I believe her wrote the song. which I And we need more collaborations like that. Not every collaboration has to be you sing or rap on my song. Sometimes the collaboration is you're playing drums or mm. you just write the song. That could be the collaboration sometimes. And even going back to like, we're going to get into the Gladys Knight and Versus Battle. Uh, people, a lot of people don't know that. Marvin Gaye played a lot, played drums on a lot of early Gladys Knight records. People don't mm. know that. Yeah. Um, I saw a post, interestingly enough, not necessarily on um, instruments, but how in the R&B scene, a lot of the current singers were like bang- backup singers for most yes. of the people. Like, yes. for example, um, Tank was a backup singer for Genuine. Yes. And yes. Um, Luther Van Dross was a backup singer for... David Bowie. Yeah, David Bowie. Exactly. So And Patty LaBelle. Yeah. And Luke James sang background for Tyrese. Didn't Michelle know that. Williams from Destiny's Child sang backup for Monica. Did not um, know that. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Whitney Houston as a child sang background for Shaka Khan. Of course as a child. <laughs> like... As a child. <laughs> like and Whitney's mother, Sissy Houston, is a renowned session vocalist. Like she sang mm. background for like uh the Rolling Stones, the Supremes, Elvis Presley. Yeah. She is a renowned session singer. So, like, yeah, no, there's loads and loads of that. Loads and loads of singers and musicians who have come up for each other. Kelly Price sang background for Mariah Carey for many years before Boy. she got her own before she got a record deal. Faith Evans wrote and did a lot of backgrounds for Mary J. Blige. So, like, there's a lot of a lot of connections. But, um, yeah, no, so Tony's album, I really, really like. I really like how contemporary it is but it doesn't feel like she's trying to be 22 years old it's just it's still very it's still a very grown woman i'm a legend respect me kind of shit but she's done very well at mixing what classic fans the old school fans love but there's stuff stuff here that even if you've never heard a 20 album in your life there are songs here that i think people would love so like fall in spell my name 
dance. And there's a nice country song at the end of this album called Nothing. And this is a bag that she gets into once in a while, but Tony has these songs which are very, like, acoustic, guitar-led, and they kind of fall into, like, the country and folk vibe. And I really like her in that space. And I actually would welcome her maybe doing a full album like that one day, because she has a mm. few songs like that across the catalog, but she generally stays in the R&B bag. But she's she does very well with, like, these, like, acoustic, country, folky kind of vibes. And, um... So yeah, that's Tony and Legacy. Uh, lastly, I was going to say something else, but uh, we have to get time. So I'm just going to go into one more. So Neo. So our dear Nicholas, he you know was on No Signal earlier this week. And what's the name of the show called? Like the best album playback? I'm not entirely sure. But you know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. Two people go back and forth and they decide the best song from each artist's album. So Nick did Neo's albums. And... I just was sitting there listening to the show and was deeping that we do not really give Neo the celebration he deserves. Like, At all. We, when we discuss, like, oh, the best male, male R&B artist, he's always left out the conversation. We say, It's funny. We, we will say Trey songs first before Neo, when Neo was a bigger artist. Not me. I wouldn't. But most would. We say Usher. We say Chris Brown. But we, we say Trey songs. Yeah. Do you think it's the kind of... Do you know with R&B sometimes it's attached, and this is this is going to sound very disrespectful and it's not, but you know with R&B it's got, got the whole sex appeal thing going on, like with Neo. And you're so rude. No, but it's like, you know, you know how people are going to, you know what I mean? Like Trey Songs, Chris Brown, Usher, all of these people were like people that ladies were like falling over. But with Neo. Women liked more, Neo. Yeah, for his music. Like, <laughs> they liked his music. But like with Trey Songs so, and Chris so Brown, they had no, don't do that. So you're saying <laughs> I know. Neo wasn't a sex symbol. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Trey Songz and Chris Brown were more so. That's probably why they were. No, I, I understand that. But I think personally, I think the reason why we forget Neo is because Neo just, he went too far to that EDM uns, uns. Like he just strayed too far. Like he really, really abandoned his core audience for a while. And even though he's since come back, it's like the damage is done. And I think the damage was so severe that we kind of have forgotten what he gave us. Because Usher did the same thing, but Usher's Usher. Mm. Like, Usher gave us 8701. He gave us My Way. gave us Confession. Like, Usher... And, like, Usher birthed everyone I just named. Usher mm. is the father of everyone else I just named. So, like, yeah. Usher was but... able to do that. And he's and he, too, is also, like, he suffered. Like, mm. he definitely has lost some people. And I, Usher's another one. He does not get the praise that he truly deserves. Like, we should be discussing Usher the, the same way we discussed Beyonce. We should sure. discuss discussing Usher the same way, but he doesn't get spoken off that way. People don't act like people act like Usher wasn't that nigga. Like mm. Usher, Usher is the only R and B artist to have gone diamond in the last fifteen years. Boy, the only, the only. Mm. But Neo, I think all the dance music, the EDM stuff, it just it just really really soiled him, and we I think we it just left a bad taste in our mouths. So we just kind of and even me, we kind of have forgotten. Give me everything slap though. I'm not gonna lie. That song with Pip, no, it did. That song with Pitbull slapped. They went off in the okay. clubs. Mm, okay, alright, Mr. Ibiza. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's true, it went off in the clubs though. But to the, it's the point where I feel like, even now when he drops music, like no one cares. Like, mm. like he's dropped two albums in the last five years. I don't think anyone's cared. No one spoke about them. But Trey songs will drop. Chris Brown will drop. And even though we kind of got, we're kind of over them, there will still be some discussion on the timeline about it. like some people will still be like engage with it and of course Usher too but Neo Neo could drop an album tomorrow and it was like no one will care mm. no one will care but anyway 
So when Nick was on No Signal, maybe we just realised that how Neo's first three albums are just super strong. Singles and deep cuts. And you know yep. me, I'm always going to shout out to the deep cuts. It's not everyday singles. You know the singles. Mm. Um, but like, I was listening to like, Nobody, Fade Into The Background, Do You, Sex With My Ex, When You're Mad. I was like, Neo's first three albums. Yes. In my, own, in my own words, al- it was my first, I think it was my second album that I actually ever bought. It was one of my favourite albums ever. Yeah, Neil's first three albums were super, and some of the fourth album was strong. Some of it, some, yeah. some of it. And after that, um, when when he did Lazy Love, after that it was kind of done. I'm yeah, yeah. Lucky. After Lazy Love, that was like the last time I cared about Neil. Yeah, it's that done was, now. That was a that, good song. It was a good song. Yeah, good song, but the album wasn't. The album yeah. was dry. Yeah. But and I want to particularly shout out this one song because you know me, I have to do the deep, deep, deep cut. So there's a, a song he has called Drinks Up, which was unreleased. He never put it on any of his albums. I believe it was recorded for the Libra Scale album. So this would have, would have come out in 2010. And that is a brilliant song. And I'm just thinking, like, why did this nigga not put this out? That was a hit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. please go on YouTube, because it's not, it's not officially released. Um, go find Drinks Up. It's a really, really good unreleased Neo song. That, And it's so annoying because it's not that I feel. I actually know. In 2010, that would have been a massive hit mm. back then. And he didn't put it out for whatever reason, but you gave us Beautiful Monster. That's what we wanted to release. We wanted to release that. <laughs> That's what you were like, oh, I'm going to release this one, but we'll leave off the other one. But I, I haven't heard the one you're speaking about, but is it because um, Beautiful Monster was more radio friendly? Does it, does it sound more radio friendly? It, it is, and it's also just a shit song. Okay. Just, <laughs> shit song. It was a number one single, so well done to him. But it was, but, And this is the thing. The thing with him is because a lot of these songs that we we cast, they were big hits, but I feel like they were just hits for the moment. Like they've not mm. lost, they've not stood the test of time. So it's like, yeah, you had that that hit at the time, but was it worth it in the long run? Mm. Was yeah. it worth it? I don't. Like I said I don't know what it is because Chris Brown he also had his Geordie Shaw music phase too. He had that too. I've, to- I've told you what I've told you what it is. I've told you what it is. At the it's very not beginning. just that. It is that. It's not it just is that. that. It is. It's not just that. Ladies oh, who are yeah. listening, ladies and queer men who are listening, you find you attractive, right? Let's see. What, tweet us at Dancepod. <laughs> <laughs> because I know, obviously, I know when he takes his hat off, it's quiet. I understand. <laughs> That's not even what I'm saying. But it's just... that is a fact, sir. Yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sorry. I, I actually visibly remember being a child. I remember girls being into Neo. I, I don't. I, I don't. I, I don't recall that. If I'm, I'm being completely honest here. I don't recall ever hearing a woman or like a man saying that they find Neo attractive. I've been, <laughs> I don't think I've, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm sending for him, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. I definitely feel like I heard some people say Neo was attractive. Yes, was it to the extent of Chris Brown and Trey songs and Usher? Probably not. Or Amarion either. If we're gonna throw him into the mix, yeah, definitely, definitely not. But. I swear, okay, but I don't know. I think that may be a factor because you know, you know, you know, pretty privilege is a thing. But it is a thing. It's it a is. thing. But I think the main thing is that he just really, really, really abandoned his cool audience for a while, and it was just so shameless and so overt. Because even when Usher was doing it, Usher was giving us the valleys. He was giving us um, drum code at Ibiza, but he was still giving us "There Goes My Baby." He was still giving us papers he was still giving us um what happened to you like he was still giving us these great r&b songs he was still mm-hmm. really servicing his black fans in spite of me having issues with him doing like omg and 
trash song. Uh, you, those trash songs which I didn't like. He's he had climax. He had like, you know, he still had these great songs which the black community really loved. Whereas Neo, mm. he was just doing these crappy dance songs, and then the army songs weren't even that great either. It's yeah. like, so this is what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are my listens. So, Corrigabin did when them, whatever they're called, but love is strong. Let we, us see. Tony, we will get their name right one day. Let us see Tony Braxton and Nia. Those are my listens. Cool, and it's a nice kind of segue into what I've been listening to. More singles than albums at the moment, but I was listening to Bad Habits literally on repeat by after ah, this entire week. Tune, tune. <laughs> why word? This entire My word. Week. And what you know a what? song. Do you know what I'm actually happy about? It's kind of a weird thing to be happy about, but I'm glad there isn't an explicit version of it. Because, I, you know, there's kind of like a gap in the chorus where he says, um, I love love, but I'm just bad at it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, you kind of insert the swear word for him. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad it's not there because it kind of suits the like feel of the actual song. It doesn't feel like a necessarily dirty song. So um, I that love song this. Is a I love it, man. I think, I it's, a, I think it's a great song for Usher as a single and everything. So I'm actually looking forward to this album. I haven't listened to an Usher album in a while. I mean, A came out and I don't know what that was about. Oh. Um, and then he also released, what, what came out before that? Uh, Hard to Love. Yeah, that's it. No. Uh, there were some songs on Hard to Love that I liked, though. Yeah, there were some that, there were some that I liked. Yeah. On there, but other than that, it wasn't the greatest piece of music for me but bad habits great single by usher i would definitely recommend great if you, great i'm if, so excited yeah so excited. i'm very excited for his album so definitely check that out i listened to some of the other sig, sig- signal singles, singles that he released um wasn't too excited about those see but... it's funny you say that because i was actually saying to my friend yesterday actually that that even though bad habits is definitely the best song he's put out in a while mm. i actually have liked the other songs i liked the song of lma i liked that song a lot I like the one of Tiger as well, California. I actually like everything he's put out this year. Oh, I'll be intrigued to see how he positions it on the album because that's usually what decides it for me. Um, it's kind of the track list and the feel of the album. And then I kind of see the artists in a very different way depending on how they structure the album. I don't know why, but it's just like I appreciate the music more when I see there's an effort. And it's it sounds the way it does for a particular reason. Like if it's just a standalone, standalone song and I hear it, and it doesn't sound good. I'm just like, no, I don't like this. But if I hear it on an album and it's like the track list is good and it kind of fades into the next song and it sounds good then, I'm like, oh, okay, so he did it for a reason. So I hope that's the case with Usher. Um, so I am looking forward to this album. Um, next, some of them are too early to review, but I listened to du- Durand. Um, so Durand Bernard's new uh, album. Uh, can we just... <laughs> <laughs> because Durand... But nah, he's you know. Let me not ruin it. This is Eden's time. No, I'm just gonna say I loved it. Like I'm, I'm loving it so far. Um, I'm gonna give it another few days to actually give it. Like, oh, first listen, review. I loved it. On yeah, first yeah, listen, I loved it. Same, I love it, and I love the way he writes as well. I love the way you can hear the artistry and the fact he he wants to place certain songs in certain positions. I'm a great fan of when an artist actually puts the whole album together, and and like, and what I mean by that is sometimes when I hear some albums by like artists who are just coming in and stuff, they'll put songs that sound like just random singles next to each other. Um, Big Sean. Um, But there are some artists that I just don't think position their songs that well on their album. And Duran Bernard isn't one of those people. Um, Did you actually get a chance to listen to the Big Sean album? Actually, I meant to ask you. I listened to it once. It's not good, is it? I mean, I'll say this. I was kind of doing something. So I can't say I was paying like proper attention to it. Yeah. But for the most part, I remember being like, this is a nice song. 
Yeah, uh, there is one song. The, the I'm sure there are bangers that I like. The I'm single sure. that came out was good, but other than that, I just I can't get into it because it's it's too long for starters, and also I just don't I don't really vibe with it that well. I, I like Dark Sky. Was it Dark Sky Paradise? Paradise. That's his yeah. best album. I like that album. That was really good. Um, but other than that, I, I find it hard to get into his music. What was the Red album? Um, it's finally famous. Yeah, I like that as well. I remember listening to that in college. I did like that album. Um, his but other second than album that, was a no. His second album was what? Was a no. What was his second album? Hall of Fame. Oh, I don't even remember that. So there's a reason for that. Yep. Um, last song, my two, one of my two favorite like artists at the moment in kind of the new school area released a new song called Kiss. It's by Devin Morrison and Alex Isley. And it is literally what love sounds like because it is just incredible. Their voices, Devin Morrison and the way he loves 90s kind of um, vocalists. And he, try, he tries to like interpolate their sounds in his music and everything. He just sounds so fresh on his music and it just sounds so, so good. Um, and I did go back to his um, debut album, Bussin, um, which came out in 2019, came out in um, April 2019. And I'm a big fan of this guy. I am a massive fan of this guy. I feel like he's not trying to go to radio with it, to pop with it. He's keeping it to his corner and he's just trying to master it. And I love his music. So check out Bussin by Devin Morrison. If you want some recommendations, check out Guaranteed. Check out um, No. Check out Birthday. Check out Bussin. Um, this, this single on there as well. Incredible project. And the rest of the songs he's released after that, like Casper. I love Casper. I love Casper. Um, there's so many songs that he's released as singles that I just, I love. Little Lonely, banger. And he loved, I, I can tell he's a fan of Brandy as well. You know when you can tell there's certain R&B artists that kind of try to stack their songs in the same way as Brandy? He mm-hmm. does that. He, he tries that in most of his songs. So check well, out that. We've, we've said it. Brandy's influence on R&B is, is unchallenged. Vast. It's unchallenged. It's and I'm happy that people are starting to realize that now. Yeah. I think the verses were definitely good for her career in, solid- in solidifying her as like a legend. I think that's very, very important. And Monica too. Let's not disrespect Monica. Of course. Disrespect, disrespect of course. No, 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 never. But never. Team Brandy. But... Although I don't understand why she was in that cart with um, Kim Kardashian. But anyway. Um... Well, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So that's Usher. That is Devin Morrison and um, Alex Isley, Kiss, but also Devin Morrison's catalogue. But check out Bus in his album. And then Duran Bernard, Durand. And since you were talking about um, the versus battle, should we go straight into the news topic, Shopper? Yes. So we're now getting into the news section. So first things first, we're going to speak about the most recent verses. So as we discussed last week, uh, two soul legends were going head to head. Gladys Knight versus Patti LaBelle. It was the Empress of Soul versus the Godmother of Soul. And they, on September 13th, so that was the last Sunday, they came together and it was just two hours of iconic soul music, hit, hit songs for days, personalities, genuine love, genuine friendship, and, and jokes. So I just, yeah, so... Obviously, I watched it because this is the Respecting Legends edition of Versus. And I just want to say that it was just, it just filled me with such a warm feeling watching watching them. And I really want to start off by saying that I really think it helps when the people who are doing Versus are generally friends or they have, there's a there's a clear love and respect there, like clear. And I said last week that Patty and Guy have been friends for many, 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 many years. 
they've performed together several times in the past. They have songs together. So I knew the vibes were going to be good. And so much so that those two would just speak up a half an hour before any music was played. <laughs> they were just they were just catching up. And no one cared. We weren't even mad. It's like, you know what? Let me just enjoy. These are two elder stateswomen of music just, just cracking jokes and talking about their families and their children, their grandchildren. I lived. I just loved, I loved it. Mm. I just loved watching them together. I just think it's just such a beautiful friendship and a beautiful synergy between the two of them. But then, of course, like, when they just started playing the music, you just, like, just can't deny, like, the impact they've had and just the 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 pedigree of music that they both have, solo and group-wise. And, um, yeah, they're just, there were just so many moments where I was swaying in my room. So, like, and what I thought, so I will say this, actually, it's controversial. So I didn't like that Gladys Gladys sound, sounded sang live. I didn't like that. She did sound amazing, and she's definitely maintained her voice very well for being seventy seven years old. But I wanted just to hear you play the songs because Patty played the songs. The guys basically sang every of her songs, mm. which was cool. But like, let's just let's just, just press play, Nancy, mm. please. But. I don't, like, I, I don't like when they do that either because I was watching the Alicia Keys and John Legend one recently oh, mm, and I, I didn't understand mm, mm. why they were trying to sing over mm, the actual song no. a few times. It got quite annoying, I can't lie. But I'm yeah, playing you're right. piano, it's just like... Yeah. No, and I get just, it. But just play the music, man. Just play the music. No. Yeah. But yeah, no, so um, I really, really, really enjoyed that. And um, I would just start by saying that obviously this it was a celebration, but if we're just going to keep it a bug. As I said, and as Stefan said, Gladys won because <laughs> like I said Patty had a very like great run towards the 80s so like I think Patty did bet she had much more success like in the late the latter part of their careers like in the 80s onwards but it just doesn't compare to Gladys's prime in the 60s and 70s it just doesn't compare like Midnight Train to Georgia I Feel a Song in My Heart on the whole ah uh, on and on <laughs> okay so for my fellow uncles and aunties out there the Claudine soundtrack yes Yes. <laughs> and then neither one of us. I just, it just doesn't compare. But then, of course, Patty, you know, she has her own, like, love and need and want you. She has new attitude. She has somebody loves you, baby. She has somewhere over the rainbow. And she sang that live, kicked off her shoes in classic true Patty form. Mm. You know, all the theatrics that we love about her. And singing, she sang some of that live. And once again, like, at her age, still sounding amazing. Still like the way they've maintained their voices, but uh, there, I was a bit concerned, not concerned, but I was a bit disappointed because the two songs that I wanted Gladys to play, the two, she didn't play. And they were, they're quite notable hits and she didn't play them. So if I was your woman and saved every time for me, and I was thinking we're definitely going to get those songs because those are, you know, they're quite notable songs in the catalog, but she didn't play either of them. But I took that down to, because it seemed like towards the end of the battle that they were being rushed because there was a moment where they played like four Patty songs in a row, which I didn't understand. And Patty herself seemed confused. Hmm. So I don't know if that was Swizz and Timberland in the background trying to like hurry things up. But I don't, I feel like more, it, it wasn't an equal battle in inverted commas. There was more Patty songs overall played than Gladys songs. And then also, I don't like that Patty didn't really play enough of the group stuff. Like there were songs, like those songs she played that I love. I'm like, but why is this in the battle? Hmm. Like, like her, her opening song was um, All Right Now, which is like a very deep cut. And I was like, I don't like the song, but why is this in the battle? Why? Mm. 
Yeah. Like there were certain songs that she should have played that she didn't play. Like music is my way of life, which is like that's like uh, an imperial disco classic. I was like, where is that, Patty? Where? <laughs> then she didn't play. Isn't it a shame from the Labelle days? Like she didn't play um, Nightbird. I was like, where? Like where? Like where are those songs? So like, you know, they need to consult you before they decide on their list. You know, they just need to yeah. bring it up and take, ask you what they need to play. So that's my thing. So like. I feel like Gladys won because I just think like she has like she has more hits, but she 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 was more she played the right songs. Mm. She played the right songs. Where I feel like Patty was just I was just playing anything in, mm. certain, in certain rounds. Yeah. And it was cool. But I was like, okay. But I also just loved how hilarious it is. Like, no one knows that Patty LaBelle is is an underrated comedian. Like her just being her is hilarious. So like when she revealed to the world that she still that she still uses a flip phone in twenty twenty. <laughs> what? She still uses the flip phone. I'm just like, wow, <laughs> wow. That's wild. What do you mean? A flip phone? What even? Oh, yeah, she, she she said, "I'm very low key. You can't miss out on a flip phone." Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love a flip lo- phone though because I remember T lo- Pain was talking about how you you can never hang up with someone like the way you can hang up with them on like a flip yes. phone. Yes. 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 When you slam that phone, that's the end of the conversation. That's she's it. Like, I, she's like, I don't know what this Apple stuff is. <laughs> Boy, imagine if Apple like, stock crashed when she said that. <laughs> I'm screaming. Boy. And then Gladys herself said, you know, stick to what you know. And I'm like, yeah, right. Isn't that right? And I just laughed. So like, just two old black women. They're just, just hilarious. But... And you know what? Just very quickly, because I didn't watch it, but the one thing I did appreciate is the fact that with their marketing, and I'm speaking about Versus, I love the way they introduced um, this Versus and like how they went to Patty's cooking because like mm-hmm, Gladys mm-hmm. and Patty, they both have um, like pies and um, what's, what does Gladys offer? Gladys um, has a, a chicken and waffles restaurant. Yeah, so chicken and waffles. Oh, a restaurant. Wow, okay, that's really it's cool. It's a chain. I've been to one. It's dope. It's- Okay, I need to go there. But I like the way they incorporated food into like, you know, the whole like, you can tell it's like an ode to like black grandmothers and stuff like that. And mm-hmm, how they're mm-hmm. kind of known as like having secret recipes and all these types of things. So I, li- I like the feel of that. Mm-hmm. It kind of invited like a younger audience to Versus as well, which mm. I think is very important. Mm. Um, so I have been appreciating how um, Apple because um, Versus are collaborating with Apple to kind of get the video and everything. But I am appreciating how they're investing in making sure that the stories and the marketing is done correctly following these legacy artists. Because it Mm. could just be a very simple situation where they just say, we're doing a Versus, let's throw them on and see who shows up. But no, it seems like they're really investing in creating the content and in creating the spaces for these artists to actually perform virtually well and like actually show the kind of human size of them as well. So I did really mm-hmm. appreciate that. I thought it was really good. And um, yeah. it was another success. So across Instagram Live and Apple Music, 3.8 million people tuned into the battle. It was 5 million for um, Brandy, was 6 right? million for Brandy. 6 million. Okay, yeah. And to be fair, I'm even surprised they got that because I said this last week that I don't, that I feel like as legendary as they are, I feel like the young people don't really know Patty Guys. So I don't think they were going to tune in in the droves they would Brandy Monica because Brandy Monica is close to our generation, but I was surprised. Nearly you know four what? million. Do you know? What I think that is. Though? I think it's the demographics thing, though, because the demographics for social medias are fairly different. With Instagram, it does have a fairly older demographic, more like um, older millennials and um, what's the generation before us called again? 
Um, but anyway, that generation before us as well, they're the people who use Instagram, Facebook and stuff like that. Millennial, um, Gen Z use TikTok, Snapchat and all of those types of things. So it makes sense that they would have got the thousands because we still know about Gladys Knight um, and Patti LaBelle. So it makes sense. No, I get that. But I feel like we know their names. Well, not you and I, but most people are just, they know their names, but they don't, they don't know their songs. They don't mm. really know what they've done. Mm. Whereas I feel like if, like even people, even if you're not the brandy, the biggest brandy one, you know the boys' mind, you know Full Moon, you know So Gone, like mm. you know some of their songs. But I'm certain there are people that we follow who have never heard a Gladys Knight song in their in their life, which is sad. But here's what it is. Or a Patti LaBelle song, they've never heard a Patti LaBelle song. I don't believe that. I don't believe they've never heard a Patti LaBelle no, they song. They know, no, they know, they know Lady Marmalade, but that's because of the new version. No, because they don't know it's her song. What about if only you knew? I think our generation does not know that song. What? Actually, they might because Kiki Wyatt in her version. And Tank's version, which bangs as well, by the way. Tank has a version of that song? Yeah, he does. And it slaps. Can I play it quickly? Wait, let me play it. Please. I've never heard that. Yeah, she slaps. It's it's just like the beginning, though. So it's Oh, 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 right. You don't know with Wale. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So he interpolated. I was thinking like, Tank's Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Wait, I'm going to play it quickly because I don't think you can actually. I don't think it'll be an issue. Wait, let me see if I can find it. That's a good song. Uh, Where is it? What album was it on again? That was Sex, Love, and Pain 2, I believe. Uh, Which was a great album. Yep. And I, I cut off the rest. I can't even lie. I literally just listened to that part in the song and then I just stopped. And then I, the song I, is good. The song is good. But why? I don't like Wiley's part, if I'm being honest. But it does slap and it's an ode to Patti LaBelle. But that's the thing. I feel like people heard that song. I don't think they know that's a Patti LaBelle song. That's so annoying, man. I don't think the they know that. Her version is just out of this world. <clears throat> like, and I also want to shout out SW, SW. They have a version of that song. SWV? They have a version of that song. They Do they? It. Yeah, and it's amazing. It's incredible incredible they got a grammy nomination for it swv's if only you knew it's amazing doesn't compare to patty of course but they did a very very good version of that song all right i'm gonna check it out I'm definitely and of course out. everyone knows kiki wyatt's version i mean i feel like likes we make fun of it at this point but, <laughs> yeah anyway that's patty labelle guys tonight respecting legends the got to be real edition oh of course i loved all the aretha franklin jokes that came around came along thank you all for them you were on top form black twitter the jokes <laughs> the hilarity the mess because there was a moment when gladys was playing um midnight train to georgia which is obviously her biggest hit and the live cut off in the middle and then said someone said finally the ghost of aretha intervenes boy <laughs> <laughs> and I, just, I was just living with the aretha jokes because if you didn't know, I love Aretha to death, but it's very well documented that she was a hater. Um, Boy. Aretha is what I call, she was the Nicki Minaj of the 60s and 70s. <laughs> Aretha Franklin wanted to be the only one. Yeah. she was, And I love, like, and, you know, she was that bitch. Like, she is the queen of soul. Like, Aretha Franklin is, like, insane, amazing. Like, she was that girl. And for good reason, but behind the scenes, yeah, she, she hated everybody. Natalie Cole, Patti LaBelle, Diana Ross... Denise Williams, Aretha just was not here for the younger girls. Boy. 
Shaka Khan, her even her own god daughter Whitney Houston. <laughs> That's jokes, man. That is Luther Vandross and her had some issues. It was like more fun. It was like it was light, but yeah, it's, I remember someone actually did a thread of everyone Aretha has friendship or had beef with, and it was like literally thirty tweets. Boy, Aretha has had, and that's why she's nicknamed Hate Aretha. But we love her. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw on another another note. I saw um, Monica was on Twitter asking why people call her Gunica. That she was knows. a very the thread was she hilarious, knows. man. The thread was hilarious. Oh she my knows. days, Monica knows why she's called Gunica. She knows. <laughs> she knows. No, but my favorite moment, like in Aretha Franklin history, but it's the great gown situation. I was trying to find the recording, but literally that is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> she just didn't care at all. This is what I'm saying. Like, they, people don't know that these legends, these older legends were, they were, they were, they have mouths on them. They have attitude. Yep. Like, you can literally pull up old Patti LaBelle interviews too. She's also hilarious. But she the thing hilarious. is, they had to be though. <laughs> they, they were in an environment where they were signing these deals and people were just doing shady things and they wanted to talk about it in a public way. Like that's the only because obviously they didn't have social media, so the only way they could really like talk about people was in interviews or like maybe in ob- a song or something. Yeah, and obviously back then it wasn't. If you missed it, that was it. Yeah. So like, that's why that's why these clips resurface of like even like even like Whitney Mariah like even Beyonce. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, even her like they resurface <laughs> because obviously back then if you just missed it, you missed it. But now you can look back and be like, oh wow. Yeah, Beyonce's interviews were hilarious. Just hilarious. watching them. Like I remember, there's, there's one that's going around Twitter at the moment of um, these two white women who are interviewing her, and they're asking her like questions at the same time. And Beyonce's just like, "Sorry, I'm just so confused. I don't understand what's going on." <laughs> and literally, there's a pause for literally a good two minutes afterwards. Like she was jokes, she Queen was Virgo, definitely a Virgo, hundred percent. And we've all seen the Desi Child interviews. We've yeah, all seen, we've all, like collect wow. your luggage. Yeah. 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 But anywho, moving mm-hmm. on. So that was Gareth and Patty, respecting legends. And for those who are listening to this and don't know who they are, please do your research. Please I would, do your uh, research. I'm very shocked if you don't know who these two are, especially Patty LeBeau. I know Gladys no, Knight's you. That's what I'm especially. saying. They, people know their names, but they don't know their music. They know the name. They know the name, Patty LeBeau. They know the name, Gladys Knight, but they don't know their music. I, th- I actually think some people think, you know, Dilemma by Kelly... Um, and Nelly, Kelly yeah. Rowland, yeah. I actually think people don't realise that it's a sample. Nope. I, and I, I'm very surprised when I have conversations with people and they talk about Dilemma and they don't mention Patti LaBelle. I just find it. don't know. And I don't even think people deep that she was in the video. They're just like, oh, just some black woman playing Kelly's mom. No, there's no way. There's no way. No, there's no... I, I refuse to believe that. I, I, be, I, I absolutely uh, refuse to believe he, that. I'm sorry. People don't like people don't know. Like, how do you not know what Patty LaBelle looks? No, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't. I'm sorry, LMA doesn't know any Aretha Franklin songs. So, (laughs) LMA was just minding her business, making her music for DJ Mustard, and you. No, but she doesn't. (laughs) So that's what I'm saying. Like, so if LMA, who is a singer, does not know any Aretha Franklin songs, why would they people know that Patty LaBelle was in the Dilemma video? Why would they know that? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and Aretha is a bit is a bigger name than Patty. Mm. Yeah, you know, that's what I said. I said, it, I said people aren't studying. <laughs> this this well, generation, that's, that's why you're here. Studying. Shopping. That's why you're here. This generation don't study Respect those who came before them anymore. They don't. The yeah. furthest they the furthest they know is two thousand and two. Yeah, their yeah. their their icons are seven oh two. No shade to them, but I mean that's the furthest they know. It, even then, 
Well, actually, this is very interesting because it kind of goes into um, one of our stories, um, which we, you can decide if you want to talk about or not. But it goes into the education of artists or, or people who want to know about the industry as well. And like the acquisition that happened recently. Um, I don't know yes. if you want to go into that topic. So we're going into that now. So go ahead. in very interesting news, so Warner Music Group is now becoming, well, extending its lane into becoming more than just a record label. Mm-hmm. So they previously acquired uh, the youth cultured, the youth culture focused news website Uproxx. And they, it's now been reported this week that they've now acquired Hip Hop DX and that this was finalized in April of this year. Mm. And allegedly, supposedly, apparently, Warner has no intention to influence the editorial direction of Hip Hop DX in future. Um, apparently, the, pres- the purpose of this acquisition and this partnership is just to provide investment and help grow its presence in additional countries. So, Eden, your thoughts? Um, I don't believe them, is, is my thought. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for Warner Music Group to definitely influence people, um, and especially the hip-hop crowd as well. As we know, hip-hop is um, the biggest genre in the world at the moment, so it makes complete sense that they'll go for a hip-hop audience. Um, it's worrying, if I'm being honest. It's, it's worrying when there are blogs and websites out there that are used to review and critique music and now they're being acquired by the very places that create the music in the in the first place um it's like for example um someone acquiring our podcast where we critique artists and then all of a sudden we switch up and we're talking about things that we previously hate in like a good light which yep. never happened by the way just let you people know but um it's it's very very scary it's very very scary um and I just hope that there are some blogs out there that are doing well and realize the importance of kind of crowdfunding. I think as time mm. goes on, we're going to realize that there are some things that need to be actually paid for. Um, and this is actually a very, it's very interesting because just on the side note, Shopee and I were talking about this topic and kind of using our intelligence to kind of answer these questions in a slightly different way. But this just reminded me of a conversation I had with someone about um, social media. And mm-hmm. you'll understand my point, but with social media, there was a conversation about how um, with social media, if you're not paying for something, you are the you are the product. So with advertisers, they will pay social media companies to essentially buy the attention of you, the user. And it's very similar in a situation when you read a piece of news, for example, if you are not paying for that news service, you are the customer. Your attention Mm. becomes a thing that companies acquire later on and say, we want this person who listens to hip hop and favorite artists is this person. We want to influence them because they are our customer as well. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be in an era now where free is a choice, but it comes at the detriment of influence and of um, everyday decisions. So if you want to have a newspaper, if you want to have a podcast, if you want to have something out there that is completely... um, funded by the people speaks on the opinions of the people you're going to have to pay for it um which i think is something that gofundme and kind of the elements of um it's it's more of a crisis type of donation place at the moment but i think it will be used more um 
business based in the future as companies try to raise funds to um, continue to do the journalism and work that they need to do to make sure that they're not being biased um so i do think that's a very very important conversation if you don't want these companies to be bought up by the likes of warner music or whatever then you are gonna have to figure out a way to pay for the actual services you're using um so if you didn't want hip-hop dx to be purchased pay for it pay the premium model pay for it in a way mm. that lets people know that you the customer want to invest and then what would happen if this acquisition upset you and you cancelled your subscription you would actually voice that this isn't something you would want to invest in the company for because it goes back to the argument of people that are like like say for example when um what are they called uh not gucci but one of the designer brands did something like in blackface it, it was gucci as well but it was another company and then people were like oh i'm canceling gucci i'm never buying gucci again but they didn't buy gucci in the first place so it's like how are you going to cancel something you didn't invest actual money into and it's the same it's the same conversation for brands that you invest into whether you read in you read about it or whatever um if you're not putting money into it and you just leave they're going to replace you with someone else because it's a free service anyway Whereas if you pay for a premium project, a product and you leave, it actually shows in the numbers. Um, so I do think it's important we do pay for things we're interested in. So for me, mm -hmm. so I agree with everything you said, but there's so many ways we can look at this, uh, this acquisition. Mm. It just, the first thing I thought of is that this is literally just major labels. They're just trying to reestablish themselves as the gatekeepers, as the paragons mm. of knowledge and of virtue and deciding what's hot, what's not, what constitutes as good and bad and what the consumers should be listening to or should be investing in. Mm. It's just literally, you know, it's just it's just making sure that because editorial platforms to an extent, they're I guess they're free market, they're part of like they you can call them a free market economy. Whereas when you have labels invest in them it kind of takes out the whole what's what i'm looking for the whole bias mm -hmm. no there's now gonna be more bias now and but, and that's why we said that oh this is just investment to keep to increase their presence in other countries i'm like well why didn't another form of company invest in them why would a record label who has artists who would benefit from positive press from sites like hip-hop dx and uprocks mm. What, like surely I don't know I can't remember obviously I don't, I don't you know work in tech or businesses but I'm sure there are other companies that would have been worthwhile investors not in a record label yeah yeah there are quite a few um let me think off the top of my head I think the likes of maybe um Google I think Google would have been a good investment for this um but like they're all connected that's the only thing they're, they're, they are they're all, they're all connected yeah. nowadays so it's um, very hard and this is the thing, because, you know, this is something that I've been looking into recently that, you know, whether we like like it or not, like the idea of the record label is dying. It's becoming obsolete, especially I guess they still like hold a lot of weight. But like, compared to like 20 years ago, it's not paramount. You know? Is it because it is it death or evolution? Well, yeah, I think, well, I guess in this case it's evolution because now record labels and media companies, they're now becoming one in the same. Mm. They're becoming one in the same because now obviously, and it, like there's mutual benefits. So obviously record labels, they're like, you know, they're losing their pulse on, on how to really engage consumers, especially in an era where people aren't selling anymore, but media brands, they need to diversify their revenue streams. And now even like, and I know this from a PR standpoint that publications are now 
just as important to the marketing as traditional marketing mm. if that makes sense it's like labels now work with like the fader to do certain things or they work with advice to do things it's not just a and not just from a press standpoint like they actually like you know put together like you know pop-up shops or events together like in you know in association with each other so that's the thing so it's like i think you're right i think it's 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 death and evolution because it's, it's evolution but obviously what we know was traditionally for is becoming more and more irrelevant like there's so many artists now who are doing very well have their own fan bases it may not be like topping the charts but they're doing reasonably well. Like, the idea of success now is so diverse now. Like, not everyone has to be, like, a platinum selling grammy winning artist to be seen as, as a success anymore. But the thing is, I would kind of challenge that because when you say they're doing well, you're probably looking at, like, the overall sales of their projects and everything. No, I'm not. I'm not looking at that. But the, what I mean is, if you are looking at streaming, there are record companies that actually have like stakes in the streaming companies as well which is why yep. i asked if it was evolution because even if they're not signing to these particular companies they are still technically having their music listened to under these companies so yeah i don't know i don't know if it is death i think they're realizing that people are starting to cotton on to the idea of signing to a like 360 deal and losing all of like the money they could have earned um and yeah yeah finish your point um, but you know, it just, it's just like record labels are now, they're going from, I don't like the fact that record labels, this, you know, artists, whatever, magic companies, you're supposed to obviously, you know, create pop culture in the form of the music you make. But now your season control and usurping how it's written about, how it's perceived in the media, because journalism is supposed to be an independent art form of itself. It's not something that is supposed to be, you know, there was a day this is before my time, but there was a time when a bad review in a magazine newspaper can like make or break an artist's career. Mm. Whereas now there's this, there's definitely this culture. Nick will know as well that you know journalists will just say anything because they want to make sure they get to go to the after party, or they want to make sure they get to they want to get tickets to this recall event, or they want to get the advanced album. Mm. Whereas people aren't. Cause I definitely look at certain reviews and I'm like that that is not true. Mm. That is not true. Why even just see the way that certain publications they definitely write about certain artists way more than others. And it's just like, why is that? And, you know, we've heard about, you know, Nicki Minaj and Karen Civil and how Karen Civil was allegedly um, servicing bad stories about Cardi B because Nikki, she had Nikki's team on payroll mm. and stuff like that. So that's, what, so that's what I don't like because if now Warner Music, this big label conglomerate, is taking on two, two editorial sites now, Up Rocks and Hip DX, who are both very successful, like, you know, I personally don't read them, but I'm very aware that they're very successful mm. uh, juggernauts in the media landscape, especially for hip hop music and and for younger younger audiences. And now Warner Music has a stake in that. And yes, they say on the, oh we're not going to this direction, but you are, mm. sir, whoever you are. Do you know what I'm interested in? I'm interested in the conversation that happens behind closed doors in Warner Music, for example, because I can only relate things to my experience working in certain industries. But like, if a company wants to be acquired, it's usually like it starts from someone seeing someone doing well and then it like travels up the ladder. So I'm always intrigued in like what the thought was like, did someone outright say we can influence music this way? Do you think that was something someone said or do you think it was just, oh, maybe we should invest in um, this company here and then see what happens. And then someone at the top was like, 
oh, actually, you know what? That's a good idea because then we can influence things. Do you think it was born from the idea of influencing music? Yeah, no, I definitely think because obviously, this is what I'm saying. At one point, you know, labels, they were, they controlled everything. They mm. were the, the authority <laughs> on, yeah. you know, music. Like, you know, especially like if we're going back to like, you know, the days of Motown and Columbia Records and, you know, Def Jam and Bad Boy, like the record labels were epic. Mm. Uh, the record labels were um, Ireland in the UK, like they were the authority on music. They were mm. the authority, but now music has become so much more, it's become, the barriers to entry have dramatically decreased in the last 15 years because of the internet. Because yeah. now, because people can be famous off of YouTube, um, off the internet, Spotify, people can create their own fan base without being signed to a label and they're going to be making their own money now. Even now, our veteran artists are now leaving labels and going independent because they're like, I don't need a label anymore. Yes, there are benefits to being in a label, but there's so much you can do, especially when it comes to artistic freedom, as well as like owning your masters and making more money. And there's so much more. Now the power is starting to, to crumble and they're seeing the impacts that, you know, these internet-based platforms, these artist-based platforms, these, you know, consumer-focused ideas, they're mm. starting to like really gain massive weight and traction. Mm. And even even looking into um others, like what's that channel called, that football channel called? AFTV or something? AFTV, yeah, or Filthy yeah. Fellas. Yeah, so I didn't know this tomorrow, but apparently like their views are like so, so mad. Like I like they get more views than like Sky News sometimes or yep. something like that. And I'm like, that is insane. Of course. This, this common YouTube channel. Yeah. There are certain places now that are starting to really, really gain traction. Like, so even like going like to like, you know, now Audio Mac and DJ Booth have now partnered up together. That's going to be really interesting. And obviously that's different because I didn't know this until my research, but they're actually owned by the same person. I didn't know that. Who's that? What's owned by the same person? Audio Mac and DJ Booth. I didn't really? <laughs> I didn't know that either. I found that out yesterday. I was like, oh, okay. Because when I saw the, the punch, I was like, oh, that's a bit strange. And I kind of wasn't really here for it because I really love DJ Booth's slant. I love their work. I love the space they occupy in the hip hop editorial landscape. They, they are, so, are probably among my favorite publications, DJ Booth. And I love Audio Mac as well. Like Audio Mac, I love how they've written into the editorial space recently as well. But I just didn't really like, I wanted them to just be separate, mm. especially because Audio Mac is also like, you know, it's a mixtape hosting site. They're becoming a bit of a streaming network themselves now. Yeah. So I don't really mind it as much because they both don't have the, I guess the clout of a Spotify or a label, but, it's just kind of, I just, I think for me, I'm just kind of worried about will the quality of the editorial suffer. But then I'm confused because I like editing editorial too. But DJ Booth have a very opinion based mm. editorial, you know? So, I'm and, just, so that come, was a bit. And they mm. come from the angle of for the artist as well, don't they? Yes. And, yeah. and, also, and also for the fan, like mm. they tell the truth. Like they're very much like, you know, yes, artists have done um, press with them, but like they're very much authentic to the artist and to the fan yeah. to the consumer and audio mac is kind of a more of a traditional like yes we do these amazing interviews we host this art blah, blah 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 so i'm not as concerned because but i think those i think i don't know what we're going to see with those that yet but i think audio mac and dj booth that's going to be they're going to be massive yeah very massive yeah very massive and i think they're going to be instrumental in developing a new phase in music where it's not so, how can I phrase it? So, uh, 
what's what I'm looking for? Oh, I hate this. I can never think of the word. So, what what was the sentence? Like, so you know, like how labels take advantage. Yeah. So, Advent, so the, advantage. Um, no, advantageous? That, it is that, but it's like they're not so not sneaky, but underhand? selfish, underhand. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, underhanded or selfish. Yeah, it's going to be much more upfront, and we know what they're doing and how they're moving. Yeah, but you know what this means, though. This means that Spotify and the like are going to find editorial companies, one hundred percent, to invest into. And I wonder who that's going to be because they've already taken over video, like not taken over, but they've invested in having videos with their podcasts now. So I'm intrigued to see if they're going to have an editorial section. Um, I wonder who they would purchase. I, I think that I think that I think that will definitely happen. And like pigeons and planes, that will be maybe. That'll be joke. I think we'll see it because you know Apple Music. They've now they ha- they hire writers to do like these album bios. Yeah, and you know they have like you know these nice little paragraphs and albums drop. I th- I definitely think Spotify and Apple, Amazon. Yeah. I think they definitely will. That's definitely going to come because if they these... don't buy. Sorry, yeah, go on. I was just going to say these streaming companies are becoming so much more than just audio now. Like yep. even Apple Music, we're talking about Versus now and how they look after the like the video element of it. Yep. So yeah man it's it's interesting to see what the next acquisitions are going to be Spot- and spotify is now doing like they're moving into podcasts and videos and mm. live concerts like they're becoming and that's just the thing about labels now i think like all these companies they're becoming more similar than you think they're all just becoming media companies at this point yep they're not becoming labels or streaming platforms or publications they're all just becoming mass media yeah. institutions yeah and they're all starting to join up together yeah. So, and the scary thing is they're they're buying the companies that are actually educating artists on how to actually mm-hmm. enter the industry. Mm-hmm. But if they're owned by the companies that basically make the artist money, is it the right information they're receiving? Mm-hmm. So it's it's always difficult for independent artists to figure out if they're doing the right thing because yeah. it seems yeah. like they get a lot of conflicting information. Yeah. Um, it's and like that's the, what... the wolf in sheep's clothing situation. Yep. And that's why I was worried about this DJ booth thing because I feel like they're amongst the most honest mm. of publications like no matter like they've done very in-depth articles about obviously they've done like very blunt armies but they also will do like articles about what it's like to be an a&r or mm. what it's like to be a publicist in the industry like they do this very honest work and that's why i'm like seeing them i kind of just like i wanted them to stay as they are and i don't yeah. know what makes it problematic in any way but you know as you know you earn more money more revenue streams yeah all your mac end up becoming as you know underhanded as a universal or a sony one day you know i hope i hope not but money talks man yeah exactly and money changes things yep absolutely and will eventually we've just become a shell of what it used to be will they start becoming dishonest and fraudulent and shifty and shady you know yeah so i'm not too concerned about that yet but this hip-hop dx thing yeah it's bad vibes and i just want to use this time to point out that Apparently, not apparently, it's, it's in this article by Music Business Worldwide. Chicago, sorry, Charles the Rapper bought uh, the local news at Chicago List. And I was like, wow, that sounds just like Charles the Rapper. <laughs> that sounds just like him. He wants a monopoly on Chicago. Just, he, he really does. Because really the music isn't doing it, if we're being honest. It's the not. music is not doing it at all. So and I'm then, not surprised. And his dad is a politician. So Yep. And then also, if he forgets, Chance the Rapper and his manager... Once reacted to a negative review of coloring book of MTV News by threatening to pull out of like some TV special with the company or some shit like that. Like I don't know, him and MTV were gonna work on some projects together, but because they 
posted a negative review of his album, they threatened to pull out. So they mm. made his they made MTV remove the article. Bad and vibes. that's not how that's how it should work. Yeah, it's not. It's not. That's not and it's what I'm saying, journalism is becoming usurped by corporations because yep. it's not becoming it's not it's slowly, slowly becoming not it's not even like it's for or against the, the the industry, but it's now working alongside it. And in obviously historically it always has, because you know, naturally, you know, even me, I'm a PR, I have to reach out to publishers all the time. But I know that I ultimately can't control what they write. Mm. Like I can be I can try and shift it, I can try and curate as much as I can, but ultimately I cannot control what the final review is, what the final interview is, because that's not my job. Yeah. We work together, yes, but there's a there's an understanding that, you know, I'm a PR, this is what I do. As a journalist, it's what I do. And even me, when I write as well. Like, I've had PRs come to me when I write articles. Oh, can I read the article before it goes live? No. <laughs> why? Because I don't Why I don't want you to influence my the direction of my piece. Oh, okay. Like, I don't want you to be like, oh, but this sounds a bit this way. Like, okay, but when I interviewed your client when i reviewed the album that was my interpretation that's how i took it and that's the that's the news that's the story i want to tell mm. that's the angle i want to tell i'm not i don't want to have it uh uh orchestrated or inspired by the publicist or the label yeah. because it's going to make them look any worse or any bad do you ask hmm? do you ask to read the article? no okay i've had people ask me ask <laughs> i've had I've had some of my clients ask me to ask them, and I'm like, "That's not gonna happen." Yeah, because one, because I just I I I I respect them enough, but also I know what it's like on the other side. It's like that's just that's just not how it works, especially in the age of online. Remember, you know I'm saying? going back to the print days when there was no online. So if you like published a review in like Q magazine, you would wait till it's on the store on the mm. shelves. Yeah. Whereas now we have oh, it's gonna go online first before it goes to print, so you can see it and maybe change it. Back in the day, it wasn't like that. It's like, mm. okay, this artist is doing Time Out magazine. You won't see it till the rest of the world is seeing it. Mm. So I've definitely had, I've had it both ways. I've had PRs come to me, like, can I see it in advance? Like, I just want to make sure it's all correct. Don't worry, that's why I ask you the questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. Cool, should we move on to the next topic? In fact, I actually just want to get an email. I'm not going to quote it. I just want to see, because I, they, I mean, they gave me an answer and I was just a bit like, why, why? Let me see what they said. They were like, oh, can I see it? I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, I'm oh, yeah, in... so we had no intention to change the story you were presenting. We just to make sure all the details are correct. <laughs> did you even reply to that? I did. And I said, it wouldn't be right for me to send it for artist approval as it takes away from the authenticity of the story myself and the publication trying to tell. Well, that's noble of you. That, and I love the corporate speak. I love that. That's the PR in me. <laughs> I love the whole, um, if this is finding you well, and all those types of things. Like, when you're actually on crud, I actually yeah. love just, like, hiding it behind words. And the thing is, because it, it kind of goes back to, because I think that, you know, we, like, artists now, publications, sorry, artists, labels, managers, they're so hyper-aware of how important public perception is. And I mm. understand that. But I'm sorry, we have to tell the truth as writers, as storytellers. Like, we have to tell the truth. So if you, if I review an album and it wasn't great, okay, they make a better album. Yeah. Or yeah. if I did an interview and I framed them in a particular way, well, that's how they came across when I interviewed them. Yeah. 
That was the I, I, interpretation I got. The thing I don't understand, yeah, is I understand artists want to be seen in a favor, favorable light. But at, 1, same, but at the same time, it's kind of just like, if your album is trash, then it's going to show in the numbers more likely. Not and necessarily. I, well, even, have... even in the conversation that's happening online, people are going to be like, this is trash. Yep. And if you if you care about your art, which I, I imagine nowadays most artists probably care more about the money, then do you really want to influence the opinions that aren't true? Probably, mm-hmm. probably. It's your it's your it's your it's your money at the end of the day. I get, it, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, like people are like, oh, can we see before it runs? No. <laughs> I'm proud of you. And I won't. No. I won't lie. I won't lie. I definitely, on one case, did make it happen. Mm. but it was because i could yeah. in most cases i know i can't mm. i know i can't but in in this one event which i'm not gonna say but i did and yeah. the label had no issue with it and then and i spoke but it's just this hyper awareness and this is what's gonna happen with hip-hop dx mm. this is what's gonna happen with hip-hop dx especially because when it comes to writing about warner artists hmm, i'm sure it'll be different <sighs> Maybe maybe Sony artists and Universal will be the same, but any Warner artist that is covered on Hip Hop DX is going to be a different slant. Yeah, but actually, on another segue, it's been a segue episode today. Let's talk about revealing things that shouldn't be revealed. Where so, is coming from? Well, it's the next topic we're going to talk about. So, oh right. <laughs> no- <laughs> All right. So moving into Kanye West and his battles against everyone <laughs> so Kanye West took to Twitter to talk about a few things um a few things a on few. September 16th um he spoke about his contract with Universal and he said and quote I quote he says okay guys check this out I don't have a contract with Universal I have 10 they tried to bury us alive and then he further went into more conversation about contracts artists how um some contracts are modern slavery for artists and there was a video of Kanye West kind of pissing on his Grammy Allegedly. Um, in the toilet which I think kind of yeah which kind of symbolizes how he feels about the Grammys and how he's always spoken about the Grammys as well kind of um so yeah that's kind of what happened in a nutshell Kanye West is challenging the industry again and talking about how he feels he is owed certain things in his contract and how he wants to fight for the little person and the big person and, and he wants his masters to- back Exactly. And he cites Taylor Swift and, and Jay-Z and quite a few other artists as well. Um, Hit Boy came out and supported him and said that he agrees with everything he said, although he kind of took like the first few sentences to kind of send shots for Kanye about um, how when he when Hit Boy was, was signed to Kanye, Kanye said that he would never work with him again because he produced for Beyonce. And that was kind of weird to say, but he agreed with him. Um, and a few artists came out as well. Now, this is in light of a few conversations about the industry, contracts, labels, and a few things. We In the UK, we even had um, Wiley talk about relationships with artists and labels. Um, and the likes of Stormzy and a few other artists as well um, have championed having independent deals. We, speak, we, were speak, yeah, we were speaking about Chance the Rapper, sorry just moments ago um who kind of champions being an independent artist as well so being independent is something that has been spoken about for a while now and Kanye West is talking about it more in depth now so what Kanye did was he took I don't even know how many tweets it was but he took a few screenshots of his contract with Universal well let's um, start off by saying he tried to upload a pdf 
on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> to Twitter. <laughs> so yeah, he took he took a few pictures and uploaded it to Twitter, and he kind of just spoke about um, being enslaved in this deal, how he wants his masters, and then later on spoke about how he was going to be murdered for having this opinion because there are some some conspiracy theories out there that suggest when artists do purchase their masters, Michael Jackson, Prince, and a few others. Um, Nipsey Hussle, for example, there are conspiracy theories out there that when an artist does buy them, they are murdered because companies actually don't want them to buy their masters. Mm-hmm. Um, and what and I found actually, interesting, and we've that... spoken about this. Sorry, just quickly, we've spoken about this before in previous seasons um, to do with the fact that after artists die, they still seem to make money from them. Like um, labels still seem to make money. Like Whitney Houston tours, all of these types of things. Michael Jackson um, is making Michael their Jackson. Money. Yep, all of those things um, that still go on after people die. And Prince, that book that's coming out, which I still have issues with, or came out, sorry. It came out, and yeah. they've released several unreleased Prince projects in the yep. last four years. Yep, and, um, on Spotify yep. and streaming services. Yeah, but yeah, even going back to that, every Prince album's on Spotify, which <laughs> would not have been a thing if Prince was alive still. Yeah. <laughs> that would not have been a thing. Yeah. But, uh, what, but what, are what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, Before I start, I want to say it's interesting that Kanye said that the label didn't tell him how much his masters are worth because they know he can afford it. So like he's a billionaire now. So yeah, and it kind of goes back to what we said about Joe Budden a few weeks ago when I was in here about this withholding of information, this withholding of data, and withholding of of, of you know technical currency that could work in our favor. So like I think that was quite quite interesting. But I don't, with Kanye, I don't even know where to start because <laughs> there was just so there's much there's just yeah. a lot as there always is when Kanye goes on these tweets and you know um i'm assuming you know he was having another episode because you know as you all know he was he's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder so i'm assuming these series of tweets over the last week were a result of that well here's the thing and i i, I don't know if i like when people assume it's that because i just think it denies people the opportunity to actually hear a reality because if there's someone with bipolar disorder for example who is having an episode and they're talking about something that is very important to them people automatically assign it to their mental health rather than how the world actually influenced them to feel that way Mm -hmm. or kind of um, impacted their mental health to begin with Mm -hmm. so with Kanye West for example it's always like when he speaks on things and it's with a passion, it's always people always assuming that he's crazy or like he's losing himself or the old Kanye wouldn't have said this when there's evidence to suggest that he would have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is a conversation to be had about the importance of artists being able to buy themselves out of deals eventually. Like there is a massive, massive difference between signing something that says one day you'll be able to own something and never being able to own it because you're dead by the time you can and that's something that we've seen great speak about we've seen people being underpaid like um when we spoke about contracts last year with megan the stallion trying to leave her contracts um to sign with rock nation um we spoke about that we spoke about the fact that she didn't know where her money was coming from there was some money missing from tours which she spoke about as well um and she was quite young when she signed the deal as well and obviously she wasn't megan the stallion in status when she signed the contract Mm. so i actually personally reading what kanye is speaking about and kind of the way that um he's moving 
with this situation in particular I actually think it's way more intentional than we actually realize I actually think that it comes from a place of progression and understanding that when it comes to his legacy he's one of the only artists on the planet that can say something like this and get away with it now you can argue that he can only get away with it because people assume he's crazy yep <coughs> sorry people assume yep. he's crazy and that's that's, why... that's that's a very important point because yeah. what I was going to say was is that in spite of the amount of truth that comes out and everything he was saying, and I've said this many times about Kanye, that as much as we like to just ignore him and say he's just obviously, he's not what he used to be, the, he says a lot of truth a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah. Obviously, it's clouded around these these overzealous quotes about being Steve Jobs and Moses and I'm the greatest person on the planet and blah, and these other idiosyncratic things he does and says. But like, yeah. the, like Simmons and Zelia Banks, there's always a core of truth in what he's saying. Yeah. And a lot of what he's saying in this is true. It's very accurate. Yeah. But I think what happens with Kanye is, is that it just becomes, it turns into self-parody. Because he just goes on and on and on and on and on. It's not like measured. It's not like thought out. It's like very much, he's not thinking. He's just literally just sprouting out everything. To the point yeah. where people just don't take him seriously. They're just yeah. like, oh, Kanye's having a moment again. Another Twitter rant. Because, you know, in spite of all this, he was also saying some random shit about my daughter's favourite emoji and all these other random things. Yeah. And obviously him pissing on the Grammy, obviously you could look at that as like an F you to the establishment. People are going to just yeah. take that, oh my God, Kanye pissing on the Grammy. They're not going to focus on what that symbolises. But, but I actually think Kanye, I actually think Kanye knows that people interact with him in a certain type of way. I actually think he understands how people view him and how his words are actually interpreted. And that's very important. When you understand how people regard you and how to necessarily um, interact with that, it makes a difference on how you speak. So Kanye seems more like a free thinker when it comes to um, tweeting or even speaking because he knows that people will take the most embarrassing parts of that and post it everywhere. And then the core message will get around to the people he intends for it to get around to. Now, my thing with Kanye is he is a very confusing and contentious individual. The Trump endorsement, the fact he's even running to be president at the moment is something that is dangerous. Question. Yeah, you need to question because he's, he could potentially be stealing votes that make the difference and not have another Trump in, in office. Although not everyone wants Biden. Understand the argument, not what I'm talking about. So, yeah, like you were saying, Shope, about um, Kanye West and how contentious he is and how people misconstrue some of the things he says sometimes. There are some things that show he does have some form of intelligence. Like, there's this interview, which I was looking for just a moment ago, where he said this. Like real estate of racism. Where, just like that, when someone comes up and says something like, I am a god, everybody says, who does he think he is? I just told you who I thought I was. A god. I just told you. That's who I think I am. Would it have been better if I had a song that said, I am a nigga? Or if I had a song that said, I'm a gangster? Or if I had a song that said, I am a pimp. All those colors and patinas fit better on a person like me, right? But to say you are a god, especially when you got shipped over to the country that you're in and your last name is a slave owner's. How could you say that? How could you have that mentality? And I think that is that kind of highlights to me Kanye's thinking when it comes to his position as an artist and also his position as a product for an industry. So as a black man, it's very important that you know the difference mm -hmm. 
because when it comes to celebrityhood, especially on Kanye West level, yeah, there can be a, there can be a state where you become more of a pawn than you do become a product. Mm-hmm. And when you understand your when you understand your mm-hmm. position mm-hmm. as Kanye West, and you speak on behalf of these artists who are signing these deals young, let's let's think about for example Lil Yachty. Let's think about for example um, Blueface. People who didn't understand what a 360 deal were, mm-hmm. and were signing these deals, doing all these amazing things with Sprite, and at the mention of 360 deals, had no idea what that was, but said, I, "All I know is I have a really good lawyer." Contentious very contentious because a lawyer isn't always on your side yep and with kanye west doing this at the moment i think is very important because there is a massive conversation going on in the industry about whether you should sign a deal or not we're seeing the likes of the r&b crowd um nick and i spoke about this two episodes ago um where some artists like charlie wilson for example um i think anderson pack i'm not entirely sure but there are some artists from the r&b sphere who aren't who are leaving their labels and going solo because artists and this pack is signed to a major okay then it's just charlie wilson and someone else then i can't remember who the other person is but brandy recently went independent yeah so it's because artists don't know no labels don't know how to market these artists and r&b in particular there's a certain crowd that follows them and so artists always ask themselves should i go independent should i sign with someone Obviously, when you sign with a with a company, you get all of this kind of support, but there are catches to it. Yeah, and I think Kanye and just he wants highlighted to make sure those. he said exactly he said there's a he lot of hidden costs. Yes, that come with exactly. signing a contract, and yes. I'm trying to find the exact uh, the exact quote yeah. he said because I was really let me just find it. Whilst you're looking for that, I do recall someone. Yeah, so we said Ooh. that. Well, no, that yeah. artists pay for hidden costs, like as the di- for the distribution of their albums, yep. yeah, which isn't in the contract, but and like even like I think even Monica mentioned this a few years ago that she like because she did a documentary about the anniversary. She was saying she didn't know that that the money for her videos and her hair and makeup was coming out of her contract. Yeah, yeah. She just thought someone else. She said thought that. the label was paying for it, but she yeah. didn't know it was coming out of her contract. Yeah. And obviously that would then obviously um come out and her making her less money when she gets her royalties or her check yep. or whatever. Obviously TLC and Tony Braxton, they were raped by the face records, as we all know. Yeah. Yeah. And even studio time. Yep. Like artists played for their own studio time. Yep. Like a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Um so like I understand a lot why of outgoings. Think Kanye West is crazy. But at the same time, I think we need to look at the nuance. And I have spoken to one of my like one of my close friends who actually um, suffers from bipolar disorder and she is very uncomfortable with the way that people kind of talk about bipolar disorder if, as if it's this thing that makes people lose agency mm. as if people suddenly don't know what they're talking about when they're having an episode and their voices are suddenly lost amongst the kind of paint of being bi- dis- um, bipolar and I, I think that that is a conversation that needs to be had because Kanye West can have bipolar and still know what he's talking no, of about of course and you know what I hope that wasn't misinterpreted when I said. No, no, no. I'm not even talking about you. I'm but just no, talking about it in general. But I think, I think with him though, because he's just, he can just, he's just presented himself as, especially in recent years, as a figure that's all over the place. It's like I said, it comes from points where we can't take him seriously. And then to contextualize that, obviously he himself has some hip, hip, uh, hypocritical, hypocritical, yeah. hypocritical actions. Like, yeah. you know, 
I don't want I didn't want to say this, but it is relevant. Like, you know, he said slavery is a choice in twenty eighteen or whatever, but you're now discussing the labels are enslaving you, but I thought that was a choice, sir. Yeah. And someone else made a point that these artists complain about the contracts and then start their own labels exactly. and sign people to Thank deals. you. Yeah. Thank you. And there was an artist uh who came out and said that Connie tried to sign him for thirty five K and all his publishing. Come with the name of the artist. Oof. And it's just like, and it kind of goes, this goes back to what Diddy does. It's what Diddy pisses me off. And Diddy's like, oh, blackness, black power, we're going to own our shit. But Diddy, you are probably the one of the devils of the industry. <laughs> Almost every artist you sign to Bad Boy is struggling financially because of you. Or they don't yeah. own their masters. And Mace came out publicly and you aired him about this. <laughs> one yeah. Twelve have spoken out. Faith Evans yeah. has spoken out about this. Uh, Danny E. Kane, D26, like many artists you have worked with. That's why Major Blige left you initially in 1995 because of, of mm. financial issues. So, like, it's kind of the same thing Kanye is doing because it's like you are speaking out against these injustices, which are valid and very true. Mm. And, you know, there definitely needs to be a conversation about artists' rights and in contract or contract obligations. But it's like I said, it's one, Kanye is self parody, but also it's like it's kind of like the wrong messenger. It's like, who are you to talk? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like all it's these true. artists who sound to good music, how are they? Are they doing well? Are they okay? Are their contracts okay? Are they? Are they fine? Well, I mean, what's her name? Um, what's her name again? Uh, Tiana Taylor. Yeah, Tiana Taylor. She complained about a contract. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there were like instances where she didn't even realize certain things were happening. Exactly. And she wanted to release certain songs on her album, I think, and they weren't released. Yeah. And there was like production issues and stuff like that. And so... sample clearances and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah no. So. Yeah. So Kanye West is in a definitely, I actually do love that he's like, you know, blowing the whistle and all these things. But I think because of his past history, his past representation, it's going to fall on deaf ears to most. Because like you said, people are going to brush aside because they think he's going crazy. But also he doesn't have a clean slate either. But no, this is my, fr- this is my frustration with life. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one this, has this a is, clean no, this slate in life. Opinion, but do you see how I'm saying that, how this is interpreted by no, the masses? No, I know. I'm not, I'm not even just talking about your opinion, but I mean the way we think as individuals, that we can only ever listen to people who have only ever done Some good in life. Some people are completely self-righteous. Like, I just don't agree with that. I believe that there are people on this earth who have opinions that are formed through experience and then they can report them to everyone else and we make individual decisions about it. It shouldn't be based on... We should be able to make informed decisions based on a person's opinion more so than just their actions. I know, but... Like, sometimes... I, I, I don't know. We don't know. live in a world just, like that, especially in the age of social media where we put up screenshots and receipts and, oh, but is this you? Did you say this? Did you do this? Da-da-da. This you? But it frustrates... And they can't it, it, unfortunately, uh, it's probably, like, the number one person to not be speaking. <laughs> so if it honestly frustrates me it would be me like because... if asap rocky like oh my god black women are the best uh no no <laughs> but like okay please no but the thing is people can i don't even know if i want to get into this conversation or if Nicki minaj said let's support female rappers but sis <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that one that one that one is different. As I'm but, saying, yeah. and, that's, and unfortunately, that's... So it's like, everything he's saying is completely accurate. And I love that he I love that he actually gave us his contracts and he showed screenshots from talking with a lawyer. And, you know, that he, he really is speaking the things. I love it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. But because it's Kanye, there's an air of... 
Shut up. Arrogance. And there's also it's... an air of like, let's hope he's okay. Like, uh, yeah. Carney is doing another. He's going mad. He's going mad again. Hope he's fine. Unfortunately, it would need to come from some. I feel like if Drake was to say all this, it would be a much. Drake would never ever. Of course, you not. know. What I'm starting to realize how ap- apolitical. No, Drake he's is. extremely apolitical. That man just doesn't say anything. Doesn't. Did he even tweet about Black Lives no. Matter? No, but that's my point. If it was someone like clean cut like Drake, then we would then we would understand. And I think that's kind of why even going back to the whole Britney Spears free Britney movement, I think that's why it's gaining so much traction. Because she's mm. kind of seen as this docile, innocent being who's just been sorely taken advantage of and disrespected by her family, people she works with. But Kanye is kind of like, he's just such a a controversial figure. He's just such a, what's the word I'm looking for? He's a, what's that word I'm looking for? More controversial, but... Polarizing. Polarizing figure. Thank you. That, it's just like, yeah. Things will always get lost, and yeah. even though there's some, and same with Azealia Banks. Once again, yeah. she will say but a there, lot. There's one thing that there's one thing that links both of them, those dark skin artists, like people project onto them a lot as well. Uh, do you think that's do you think that's really significant in these cases? Them being yeah, because you said if even like subconsciously, you said if Drake spoke on this, for example, it would be no. But I don't think it's because of this light skin. I just think that Drake, in general, he's not like he's apolitical. He doesn't really speak out about things. He's doesn't really if, he doesn't really twist the, the knife, you know. But he gets the benefit of doing that because he's light skinned Yep, which is true. But obviously, we have you know light skin artists who do speak out on certain things. Like so, like who? Like if J Cole was well, actually J Cole. Ugh, oof, oof. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like for example, these some of the artists we see as being seen as contentious are usually dark skin. I've realized this is that. True. Like, this is true. Yeah. This is true. Grace Jones and even the way we look at we, we look at Naomi Campbell. Yep. Uh Naomi Campbell. Mm. I mean yes, she has her issues, but Yes. Uh, if Naomi if Naomi Campbell was light skin, will she will she be get will she be called the difficult diva reputation that she has today? Well Tyra Banks. So but how long did that last, that conversation? I don't know. I'm sorry, Banks. I don't we kind know, of moved on quite personally. Quickly. What Tyra Banks? Yeah, we moved on with her being problematic. It's still going. It, it still no. goes on. Mm-hmm. It's been a conversation for years. Yeah, but it's kind. Of, it, it kind of got swept under the rug. We kind of moved on. We kind of mm. moved on. Yeah, but I, I do think I do think it's it's not about who says it. I think with Kanye West in particular, he is the only artist that would be able to say something like this because, like you said, it's polarizing. It's something that he will say and then you can make up your mind on what you want to believe, which I actually kind of rate as well, because there's some artists you just hear speak and you're just like, no, that's rubbish, man. Like, you know, this person always says these things and we just disagree with Kanye. Sometimes you agree with him. Sometimes you don't. And I think that's that's a skill. Like, I think that's important that we we have someone who speaks and we can make our own independent decision about if we agree with what they're saying, first and foremost. Mm. Um but okay. I don't know. So I'm intrigued to see I have what a question. So that'll be a question. So what do you think will happen as a result of this? Will this just be another flash in a pan, Kanye, media, crazy week storm? Or will this actually facilitate conversations and institutional changes? And, you know, because, you know, Hit Boy spoke out as a result of this, you know, he's been talking to lawyers. So obviously it'll be a while before he actually works things out legally with these companies, but will we start to see other artists speak up? Will 
independent artists speak out about their experiences with major labels? Will other producers speak out? You know, will other rappers, you know? So I think we've already seen some artists speak out about this already, but because they were on a much smaller scale, like Nadia Rose, for example, in the UK, um, speaking about her label situation. Um, and we've seen some other artists like, who else has spoken out? Um, there's been There's been quite a huge all of them i can't think of them off the top of my head but i have seen stories about artists complaining about deals about being stuck um not being able to release albums and all of these types of things um oh, i can't remember the, off the top of my head. yeah and it is a conversation that's happened for years like since the 90s like always issues with money always issues with not knowing how they're getting paid and all of these things so i don't know kanye is one of the first artists on his level to actually reveal his contract. Mm -hmm. So I'm intrigued on what happens for people who have signed similar deals or worse deals. And if they come out, like um, I can't even say Jay-Z because Jay-Z bought his masters back. Um, but there are some artists that are on Kanye's level who might think, wait, hold on a second. Why am I still in this deal? Do you know what's weird? And I was thinking about this. Why is Beyonce signed? Interesting question. I, I, I don't understand. Well, Jay-Z signed too. But why? <laughs> like, honestly, think about it. Why? They own, they have distribution contacts. They have, they have deals. They have that fan they can bases. Make with, they have very... They have Tidal. So why are they signed? I I don't know. But then, you know... I was, think, obviously I was, I was thinking about Jay -Z it Jay-Z has Rock Nation. Beyonce has Parkwood. So they're clearly moving into these areas in, their, areas in their careers where they're becoming much more autonomous. So, like, you know, maybe Beyonce one day will leave her label and she'll be Parkwood. Like, it would just be her. And maybe Jay-Z will become just Rock Nation one day. But even the like of Michael Jackson, for example, was signed until his dying day. Yes. Like, so, why? <laughs> like, why? I don't what know, happens? but we have to, must, you have to remember, though, it's a generational thing. Remember, Beyonce and Jay-Z come from a time when record label were kings. But you have... These are people that we consider to be the upper echelon of black artists, right? Yes. And they understand the music business because Jay-Z has been operating behind the scenes for years and the signed artists for years. So surely, as someone who looks at the and numbers... And now Beyonce starts to do the same. Exactly. And now that they understand how labels work and everything, surely they would see that they would have more control if they left their labels? Well, I don't know about Jay-Z, because he has obviously like 13 albums or whatever, <laughs> but maybe, yeah. maybe Beyonce is still in her contract. Maybe she's still, she has finished her contract. Okay, that might be it. Because usually like a six contract. Wait, how many how many albums does Beyonce have? Well, this is the thing. She has six studio albums, but obviously she's had the side ones. She's had The Lion King. She's had Homecoming. She's had uh, yeah. the joint, the, the collaboration with Jim. So like, she has six regular albums but i don't know how these things on the side work because even jesse's child they apparently still owe one more album to their label really so so at some point this child will have to do another album <laughs> mm. at some point you still owe columbia one more album boy but yeah on a scale of kanye west I, to answer your question i don't know i i really question how social media rallies um, responses to what's going on at the moment in the world corruption all of those things so i don't know what's going to happen i do hope that artists have that support and they find ways to kind of communicate and have forums of what to look out for and the like 
hopefully this situation and Kanye's contract provides more light on what happens after you've been in the industry for a long time and you've worked there for a while. But I just don't know if it will motivate people enough to actually take a stand and say, we're not doing this anymore. Because like I said, there are conspiracy theories to suggest that when you try to leave or you try to buy yourself out of a company, you're threatened or you die. And that's something that has been reported for years. So we're going to have to see what happens, really. What do you think? I, I don't. If I'm if I'm being honest, I feel like this would just be another. It was just, Kanye was crazy. Kanye was crazy in the media, and that was it. Yeah, I just honestly just don't think because it's like we said. I think it would take a Jay Z or Beyonce speaking up on the back of this for this to actually wow. Okay, this has some legs now, but unfortunately, Jay Z will definitely not because he's in bed with like NFL and he's obviously got his own shady dealings going on, and Beyonce has never. She's. She's political musically, but she never speaks. She, she don't do mm. interviews. She don't tweet. She's like you know, she picks and chooses her battles when it comes to politics. You know what I mean? But w- but when I said this, people came for me. Anyway, and, okay. Well, I'm saying. a Beehive member, and I'm saying this. Like, <laughs> like I love her to death, but she's never because she doesn't speak like in general. Like <laughs> she doesn't even mm. when it comes to her music. She doesn't speak. Like here you go, Instagram. Here's the album. Bye. Yeah. She don't speak. You know, so it'll take someone like that or it'll take a white artist on that level. So maybe, mm. and obviously, you know, Taylor Swift with this whole school Braun Masters thing, you know, maybe if she wants to speak more about it, maybe that will change things if Justin Bieber was going to speak, but they have no they have no need to because they're doing very well. Their, their lives are going okay, you know. I think that's what it would take. It would take another upper echelon artist, black or white. Mm. But, I think we definitely would be a major if another upper echelon black art. So if Diddy spoke out, but really like told the thing, like really told the thing, yeah, that wouldn't happen. But even about even his own shady dealings, maybe, maybe you need someone like Justin Timberlake. No, I don't think not even him. I don't think no, not him. I don't know. You need Auntie Madonna to come out and talk about her yeah. album and talk about her contracts yeah. and everything yeah. as well. And I'm sure, but. Mm. But it's the same thing. She has her own company as well. So she sounds like, but she has Maverick. And that's that's now a big management company. Like, mm. like Maverick Management is Madonna's company. And, and she has bit, a lot of great artists are managed by that company. It's Madonna's company. Oh, like Aaron Ray, Britney Spears, uh, Aerosmith, Brandy, Doja Cat. These are, Brandy? Yeah, these are all wow. part of Maverick Management. And that's Madonna's company. People don't know I that. I did not know that. I did not know that at all. That was kept under wraps. Yeah. That's Madonna's company. Cool. Um, Last thing I wanted to say is there was a listener. uh, Well, there was a listener who sent in a voice note about the conversation with Kanye West. Great opinion from Afo. um, And he spoke about quite a few things to do with um, how Kanye's views were being presented and everything. So what we're doing from now on, if there's something you guys want to chime in, in, just take a look at our bio. There'll be a link for you to send a voice note. Um, through to our podcast and we'll play it on air um and yeah we're, we're always happy to hear what you guys think and kind of react to as well so definitely check it out um so yeah thank you cool did you have anything else to say Shopee, or was that it? no that's it i think we we're done i think yeah i think we did it cool so we did it so we've managed to get through another episode today Everyone seems to be in high spirits, me and Chope, Um, and it was a great episode. And thank you, Chope, for sharing all that PR information. I definitely left knowing a lot more. Um, and it's good. After this. 
No, you're not going to get blackballed, Shoppe. You're not going to get blackballed because you didn't say anything wrong. You you spoke about what it's like working in your industry. Um, and yeah, like, thank you guys for listening as always. We are Don't Alert The Stands. Please make sure that you review the podcast. You follow us on the platform you're currently listening to. Um, shout about us and please, please use the hashtag that's pod to interact with the conversation. And let us know that you're listening. And we always like knowing who's listening and kind of just talking to you guys just to make sure we're doing the right thing, having the right conversations. And yeah, as always, thank you for listening. Peace. Peace.